1: Today we are talking about Star Trek 2009. This is the 11th episode in our movie series. Wow. (laughs) And today we are joined by a very special guest. It's Trek Untold's very own Matthew Kaplowitz.
0: Hi, Dara sisters. Thank you for inviting me here. I'm I'm so excited to be here and talk about uh, a pretty interesting entry in the Star Trek film series.
1: Yeah, we were so happy when you reached out to us because so far all the guests we've had on the podcast have been our friends and family. So now we have Mm -hmm. an official Star Trek podcast joining us
0: and we couldn't be more excited. Well, I'm honored to be the first. I'm surprised that more podcasters aren't kicking down the door to be on your show because you guys want a great (laughs) show here. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Thank you. appreciate it normally these series that we do, they don't run as long as 11 episodes. And so at this point, it's been going for a little bit longer than two months. And so I'm a little bit sad that we're entering the last phase of Star Trek movies, but I'm also really excited. The next series that we're doing is going to be Feminism, which Rihanna chose and she's very, very excited about. So excited. But I can't help but savor these last movie episodes that we're doing because I feel like we've generated a lot of really fun conversations around these movies on all our social media so i'm especially excited to talk about star trek 2009 because i think it holds definitely a special place in our hearts rihanna and i um mm-hmm. so yeah so before we talk about the movie matthew i have some questions for you to get us started so the listeners if they haven't heard of trek untold which i don't know how they would would be hope. crazy yeah <laughs> um, so i'm wondering how did you first
0: get into star trek there are four lights. I mean, that wasn't your question. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, I got into Star Trek as a little kid because uh, I was, you know, quite young when TNG first started airing. So that's, I guess, my first Trek. So uh, even at a young age, I was into Star Trek, but I was never, like, one of the super duper hardcore crazy fans. That didn't happen mm-hmm. until much later in life. Um, you know, like, here, in, I'm from New York, and so we have, like, WPIX11. That's, like, the local affiliate station that would show TNG when it was still new, and it showed DS9. And it would also show uh, original series reruns. They would do like marathons, usually once or twice a year for, for quite some time. So I I would always watch them, but I was never like super hardcore Trekkie like I am today. Mm -hmm. Uh, That I think happened. I used to know the exact year now I'm forgetting it, but um, I think it would (laughs) have been like 2013. I want to say when like I went to New York comic-con, it was like the last day of the show and I saw some person selling all the Playmates toys, like in package for like a few dollars a piece. And I was like, I remember these toys, I want to get some. So I think I I bought like a few, then I I circled around the booth and came back and then I bought like 14 Uh, (laughs) and it was basically the action figures that kind of like rekindled my love for it. And that's what kind of got me going back into Star Trek and, and getting more into it again and like watching all the series that I didn't really watch when I was younger. Cause by the time D space nine came out, I was already like not really into it. I was, I was also a star Wars kid. Sorry. So that's kind of like where my intention was with was star Wars and pro wrestling and God knows what other stupid stuff. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it was the toys that got me back into it and got me just on the road to watching all the, the movies, all the series again. And, uh, that's kind of brought me to where I am today.
2: Matthew, that's that. awesome. Yeah, we actually spent a lot of our childhood collecting those Playmates toys. I remember I would order one on Amazon every month when I got my allowance. Because again, they're probably like 2 or $3. But I still was like plus shipping, you know, it's like a big expense for me. And so I think now that we have like, oh my god, so many we have this whole bag just like full to the brim with star trek action figures it's amazing
1: we're not doing them justice because they should be on display in one of our houses but we've always said at some point we're going to get together and like divvy them up but that just hasn't happened yet
2: yeah i think it's going to be a fierce battle when it does though
0: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah those are exceptional figures i mean uh like not to toot my own horn but i got to speak with now uh two of the people who sculpted those figures one of them what? is an episode i did like way back in episode 10 where mm-hmm. i spoke with uh scott henzi and coming up actually next week, uh, I've got Steve Varner and he's also now sculpting the new Playmates line because they're going to relaunch it this year.
2: Wow. And, uh, so him and his
0: team are back on board doing it. So it's the original sculptors doing the 2022 Star Trek figures by Playmates. How cool is that?
1: that is That's so incredible. Cool. Wow. Well, while we're on it, tell us a little bit about *Truck Untold and how it got started.
0: and So *Truck Untold is uh, a weekly interview series where I chat with folks who are connected to the Star Trek universe in some way. So that can be character actors, or it can be writers, directors, stunt performers, behind the scenes crew, or it can even be people like action figure sculptors or comic book writers, things like that, you know, much all of the parts of the Star Trek universe. And uh, I-, I like to call it the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars because we don't just focus on the main people, you know, the main bridge crew, although I've had a few of them on the show too. Uh, But it's really about (laughs) just like telling the stories of everybody else who's involved in Star Trek to some degree. And that's kind of like how the show began with that theory in mind. And I think really since then too, it's kind of expanded to be a lot broader of a show because you know our episodes get pretty long now and if we spend even a third of that episode talking about Star Trek it's a miracle <laughs> uh, <you> know, <laughs> cause I, I got all sorts of other TV things I love to hear stories about other uh, you know actors directors I like to hear about so we'll discuss all sorts of other stuff classic TV classic films whatever so that's that's basically the show it's kind of just my excuse to talk to really cool people
1: <laughs> I love that it's just it's really the nuts and bolts of how everything works and I personally really love delving into that kind of stuff. And so I love that that's your whole
0: deal. It's awesome. Yeah, it's always about, like, getting the real nitty-gritty of what a person does. I think that's kind of the core of the show is, like, yes, we talk Star Trek stories. We're going to hear behind-the-scenes things you wouldn't hear elsewhere. Uh, You get to hear sometimes the the tea gets spilled. But uh, it's more (laughs) just about, you know, how how things get done, uh, how professionals do what they do for a living. You know, if if it's an actor or an actress, we talk about acting theory and performing and, like, where they learned, what they learned, uh, different experiences that they had. And this goes for basically anybody. uh, Different experiences they've had throughout life, whether it's professionally or personally, that have dictated the decisions they made and what they do for a living. So, uh, yeah, it's surprisingly deep for what it is, I guess.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Knew? I really think that it it makes everybody more human, too, because I think for me as a big Star Trek nerd, if I hear like a name of a big actor, I, I start freaking out, and like, oh, my God, they're gods. But when you really start breaking it down, it's like, nope, they're people who went to school and they worked really hard. And same thing for you know set designers or everyone who works hard to make that happen worked a lot <laughs> for it. So... Oh, yeah. yeah. Great to
0: hear. Yeah. Well, what's fun about it, too, is like I'll talk to people who maybe worked on the same episode of Star Trek and they have such a different experience, uh, mm-hmm. whether it be on set or just whether it be how they approached whatever their job was, whatever that role was. If they were acting or if they were behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. It's always something different, always unique. And I think that's kind of the fun part. And what I want to do with Trek Untold is it's really about telling the entire story, everything about whatever we're talking about.
1: I love that. That's awesome. And our listeners know Rihanna has three cats. And so, (laughs) Matthew, you're going to hear some cats on this podcast. (laughs) We do our best to limit There are
0: four cats.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Exactly.
2: I, too, want to say that just your podcast, Matt, in general, like, it really has taught me more about Star Trek. I think from learning all that behind-the-scenes perspective and getting to hear... Like people talk about how long it takes to get on their different prosthetics and headpieces and all this stuff it's just so fascinating to me and i love all of the questions you come up with at the beginning it's always like so appealing right away it's awesome
0: oh thank you for that thank you it means a lot
1: absolutely when rihanna and i just started the show now about a year and like three months ago was august of 2020 we were first joining Twitter, really getting into the truck community, and there were so many podcasts that were really impressive to us, and Truck Untold was one. And so then, when we were on StarDate today and saw you were on there, we were both like freaking oh, out. Yeah. Truck <laughs> Untold is on the Star Trek <laughs> podcast with us. It's crazy. So we're just—it feels really full circle to have you on today. And we just saw you on, yeah, um... on your
2: episode as well. Oh, oh
1: sure. yeah, of yeah. course, <laughs> 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 of course, yeah. So yeah, I'm just—I'm so happy to be here with you. Woo.
0: <laughs> well thank you thank you so much for all those very kind words and uh yeah i mean i think we both started not really too far apart actually because yeah. i started in may mm-hmm. basically almost two years ago so you guys weren't that far apart from me so uh you know i think we are we're a podcast family in that regard
1: absolutely, absolutely. Stick together yeah <laughs> okay well so now to get more into the star trek world who is your favorite star trek character and why
0: uh, that's tough um but i think i lean towards odo Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was surprised how much I enjoyed Odo, because again, like, I, I missed most of DS9 when it first aired, so when I, the first time I watched it, I came into it completely fresh, not knowing anything. And like, the journey that the character goes through, I just, I love so much about it. And I, I think I always like the outsider type characters, and Odo especially feels like that. He's like the lone wolf, but he wants to give so much. And that mm-hmm. really appeals to me, because I'm kind of, uh, you know, I'm not the lone wolf constable Odo type character, but uh, I, I definitely feel like, you know, there's part of me that's very kind of reserved and quiet, and we share similar sensibilities. So I think Odo, but Rom would be a close second. Rom's a very close second because oh, <laughs> the same thing—the journey he goes through, he goes through such an amazing journey. And it's like you know, just to see how Rom starts and where he finishes as well—it's like wow, that's yes. uh, you know, that's that's life goals. <laughs> Absolutely. It's not just—it's not just he was given things; it's that he really like changed his life and changed who he was, and like he he made decisions that helped him get to where he was to make him a better person. Ultimately, not necessarily someone different, but the person he always was meant to be. So I, I appreciate <laughs> what happened with Rom too.
1: I love these answers. Normally we get like Spock. Um yeah. you know, like the big one. So I love yeah. this. Especially D S nine. Yeah. I'm a
0: big Riker guy too, but I have no aspirations to be like Riker in mm-hmm. any way. Yeah. <laughs> Other than the beard, that's about it.
1: You got the beard down, I will say. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I got the beard, but the swart of the swarthy attitude and the uh sexual magnetism, I seem to lack that. So I'm fine going <laughs> on.
2: Well, those that. are fantastic choices. I just recently watched Bar Association again, and it's just such a good rock episode. episode. Uh I just, I love his character development. And Odo too, he goes through so much and
1: changes so much. It's amazing. Such good answers. Odo I like that. Odo was definitely my favorite the first time I watched DS9 through. Just, there's just something about him. I just, I love Odo. Mm-hmm. And it's also
0: the fact that he's, you know, Renee was such a great oh, actor. Yeah. And, you know, oh, him truly. And him and Na like bounce off each other so well. Yeah, that entire cast, you know, like is amazing. Uh, you had some Incredible. real powerhouses there and, uh, you know, like, honestly, I, I couldn't see anybody else doing the part besides Renee and, uh, you know, spoilers, I talked to someone else on a future episode that's coming up in a few weeks on my podcast who did audition for the role and got pretty far in it wow. and, uh, I'm not going to say who it was yet, but uh-huh. uh, someone who, who did get pretty far and I was like, I cannot see you as his character. I, I absolutely cannot see it. Uh, wow, so that's wild. yeah, c- can't do it without Renee.
1: Yeah. Wow. it's I, true. I love that they honored him on Prodigy last week as well. It's, yeah, it's just great. We live in such a a Trek era that we can like honor these amazing actors on screen, which I just Mm -hmm. love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, I think let's get closer and closer to the movie. We have so many like (laughs) intros and things to do. Rihanna, I am wondering, so this is a segment that we've been doing for all of our movies. And that is, we try to remember the time that we watched it for the first time And so Rihanna, I'm wondering, what were the circumstances that you watched this movie for the first time? And what were the things you took away from it? Did you like it? Did you hate it? How did you feel?
2: Wow, I mean, this is a more loaded question than our (laughs) listeners
1: may realize. But
2: like, this movie, as we've talked about in the past, was our introduction to Star Trek of like, This is truly why we were watching all the movies through was to get to a point where Star Trek 2009 was coming out. We saw the trailer, mom was like, oh my god, like you guys haven't seen Star Trek, we're going. And so then, you know, we have the story of all of us watching it in Georgia for so long. And then I remember the weekend that Star Trek 2009 was coming out, my mom had a friend who had a wedding in Minnesota. And so we were all going to go to that. But Ashlyn had a soccer tournament. And so she couldn't go. This is very common in our house. <laughs> we're always sort of split up because she's doing some sort of tournament or concert or whatever. And always so we- play
0: squares. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. literally. I had a Dabo <laughs> tournament that weekend I couldn't yeah. make
2: it yeah <laughs> it's tough out there um and so of course I was like kind of devastated that I couldn't see it with Ashlyn for our first viewing but we were like you know what it's fine we'll be able to see it with our family members and like still have a blast and then probably see it again together if we like it when we're back And so I remember that specifically beforehand, we each bought like old Spock, prime Spock action figures to bring to the theater with us. Ashlyn, like she can tell her own story, but I had my own like Star Trek shirt on and I was ready. I think I was probably like one of the younger people in the audience, I'd say. And it was just a blast. Like I was in Minnesota, some random theater, um, like right across from our hotel. And I was just like quaking with excitement. That's how pumped I was. And this movie really delivered for me. Like, I think I was in the perfect age for all the jokes, all of the like fast action. I really just soaked in every second of it. I loved it so much. When like our Spock, our Litter Nimoy came on the screen, everyone was clapping and yelling and just like losing their minds. It was amazing. I was like, you know, holding my Spock action figure, like trembling a little, Uh, (laughs) so. Yeah, needless to say, this movie made a huge impression on me and what really kickstarted my like huge just nerdiness with all of Star Trek. I think that like I don't ever do things in half measures. I'm very much like an all in person. And so I, when I obsess over something, I go all the way in. And so 2009 was sort of that like gateway <laughs> that then like had us sort of tumble into this Star Trek world and the reason that we started watching the original series all the way through and Next Gen and Deep Space Nine and on and on so yeah the only thing I was you know sad about with the movie itself was the Spock and Ahura I remember that stuck out to me as being very annoying I thought it like did not make any sense I was so confused when it was happening. But the rest of the movie, I really enjoyed. I remember just loving it to pieces. But yeah, what about you, Ashlyn? What's your first memory of this? So
1: thank you for setting the stage. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> much of the story is the same. I will add that we were extremely hyped. I mean, Rihanna really said it already, but I mean like months beforehand, not only were we re-watching the movies, but I made my own Star Trek shirt. I bought a red shirt and I traced the insignia on it. And I planned to wear <laughs> that to the theater so, when we found out that we couldn't be together for it, it was really sad because we it was something we were looking forward to for so long. But luckily, we have a really awesome grandma. we call her Nanny, and she loves Star Trek. She's not like a super nerd uh like we are now, but she's seen all the movies. She grew up watching the original series, not grew up, but she like just watched it
2: um, <laughs> and
1: watched it when it came back on syndication like she was there for the like OG. Um, and so she was very excited for this movie, too. So while the rest of the family was in Minnesota, I went with her to a theater. I remember she picked me up early from school. She like called <laughs> and got me out of middle school, which was like amazing, it, like so cool, you know, because yeah. uh, we had to see a showing that was like at 3: thirty or something. We went to the theater, we both had a blast. I had my little Spock action figure, like Rihanna said. And then the movie ended, and we turned and looked at each other, and she said, "Do you want to go again?" And I was like, what the heck? And so we went to a second showing at like eight o'clock that night. Like seriously, best grandma ever. Yeah, I will never forget that because it was such a bonding moment for us. And clearly we enjoyed it. It was just amazing i was like such a nerd in my homemade star trek shirt and <laughs> i remember the theater being especially raucous and crazy and at that time all the harry potter movies had been out and we're such huge harry potter fans we always went to the midnight releases and so if i'm going to like an opening show it's usually for harry potter so i was really surprised that the star trek crowd was even crazier because mm-hmm. it was multi-generations of fans and people were losing their minds. But similar to Rihanna, I i mean, I liked the whole thing. I was really surprised that it was an alternate universe because initially I was really confused when Vulcan was destroyed. It was like, oh, what is what? going on? <laughs> uh, that was really jarring to me. And I kind of felt like they can't do this. This is not what I know. And same thing with Spock and Uhura, like making out in the elevator was really jarring to me. <laughs> Um, But then on subsequent rewatches, obviously, once I figured out and kind of calmed down about the alternate universe thing, I still really enjoy this movie. And I feel like we are outliers because so many people like hardcore Trek fans are very anti 2009 because J.J. Abrams did so much to change uh, Trek and the feel of it. But Rhianna and I, just because of where, like how it happened in our life, are very much in love with this movie. And if I'm sick, if I'm sad, I'm turning on Star Trek 2009. It's yeah. definitely a comfort movie for me. So that was a big story. Matthew, um, <laughs> please tell us about your journey with Star Trek 2009. What did you love? What did you hate? What are your impressions of it from your first time watching?
0: I mean, I feel like we're jumping the phaser a little bit here, but I'm not surprised to hear that it was like a gateway for you because that's what I think this movie really does and and did Mm -hmm. at the time too. Uh, It really opened the floodgates for new Star Trek fans and more so for like people to be okay and proud of being a Star Trek fan. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think we'll probably end up getting into that a little bit later on. But my my first experience, basically that was like, personally speaking, it was at a time in my life that was very bad Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, having some mental health issues, let's just say I, I had really bad anxiety and they kind of basically debuted in my life in about 2008, 2009 um, so I was not going to movie theaters for, for actually several years. I didn't go to movie theaters at all. Uh, cause I would just get super anxious there. So, uh, I didn't see this till it came onto like streaming. I, I think it must've been streaming. I don't know how else I saw it. Uh, it was yeah. probably through Netflix or, or something like that. I, I don't quite remember, but I know I did see it at home watching it on my computer, some legal way, I'm sure. Yes, um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so by the time I had seen it, you know, I'd already heard all the people talking about it and I'd heard, you know, mixed things. Like some people loved it. Some people hated it all sorts of different things i know i had some kind of strong opinion of it what it was i don't quite remember Uh, i think my main thing was lens flare but other than that i think (laughs) i did like it and i I think what i did like about it was just how different it was from my memory of the original series and i know that also bothered people a lot um but you know speaking between you know you guys here uh, i'm with you as one of those outliers who very much enjoys this movie i think it's like easy watch so easy to watch Uh, It's just a good movie, even though it kind of spit in the face of what Star Trek, quote unquote, is and was, or whatever you want to say about that. Uh, It it really spun the franchise onto its head in, I think, a really positive way. So, yeah, for me, my experiences were all good with it. I was happy about it. I think the one thing I hated was the toys, but that's Mm -hmm. uh, an episode of a different day, I think.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they're definitely different from the Playmate toys. (laughs)
0: They are hot garbage. Yes, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. That's, that's well, a polite and, way of saying that.
2: Yeah, and the fact that, like, they were always in their cadet uniforms and that a Ahura was, like, not available or hard to get, I was, like, furious about because there's, like, no women like, toys in general, even when Star Wars was coming out with, like, Rey being the main character, there was, like, not a Rey action figure for so long, and I was, like, so mad anyway. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I don't know how deep, like, you guys do uh, with the figure collecting, but, like, the female action figures have always been super rare. Like, I remember back as a little kid trying to get an April O'Neil for my Ninja Turtles. That was a war. (laughs) I think eventually my godparents got me one, Mm -hmm. Um, but that's always been a problem for sure, and... I'm not surprised to hear that Uhura was incredibly scarce, so whether by choice or just because I thought she wouldn't sell or because scalpers are buying her, it could have been any of those things. But uh, I hope that you got at least a better Uhura now.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I we finally we got did. a good one. Yeah. I do remember that my Spock arm did fall off at one point. So yeah. Not, yeah. not, not durable.
0: They were terrible <laughs> figures. They the likenesses the awful they wore the stupid tunics that cut off all their articulation. Yes.
1: Yeah! So true. Oh. Wow, I'm glad to hear because I feel this way as well. So I'm glad. <laughs> it's like a very niche irritation, but I understand.
0: <laughs> I, I can tell you, speaking to the people who sculpted the original line, they were like, why didn't they call us back in 2009? <laughs> it was a terrible yeah. choice.
2: Yeah, I mean, like you said, Matthew, too, like, this was a movie that made it cool to be a Star Trek fan for a lot of people. And so this is the perfect time to make toys that are epic. You know, if you're having, like, a whole new batch of kids coming into, like, Star Trek, make your toys good. Come on. (laughs)
0: Like, at the time, I can tell you, I remember when the the movie was in theaters. My, My girlfriend at that time was trying to get me to go, and she was, like, trying to bribe me to get into a theater by saying, we can go see Star Trek. And I'm like, you've never watched a sci-fi thing a day in your life, but you want to see Star Trek? Like, what would make you want to do that? And it's just, that's how how mainstream that Abrams ended up actually making the Star Trek film, that everybody wanted to see it. There was a destination mm-hmm. film, and it's like, no other Star Trek before it really did that maybe besides Wrath of Khan.
1: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, and I think now I kind of, I love talking about the history, about why the movie was made, and I don't, if you have any knowledge, like, please jump in. Um, But basically, like throughout the movie series, we've been chronologically tracking. Because all of these movies pretty much are made with the intention of, we're going to make this movie because we need some money. And then there's not really like, oh, let's make another one. Let's have it be a long arc that spans five or six movies. It's always, oh, too bad, Insurrection made some money, so let's make another one. Oh, Nemesis didn't make any money. (laughs) Um, yeah. <laughs> and so that's kind of what happened. That That's why there's such a big gap between Nemesis, which came out in 2002, and then 2009. Like, that's a long time without Star Trek. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, that's when Ryan and I were growing up. And so I think it makes sense why Star Trek wasn't really on our radar. There was Enterprise going at the time, but that was canceled in 2005. So it's, yeah. it's you know, not a great time for Star Trek in the early 2000s. But I know what really triggered this movie to be made was that there was an issue with Viacom and Paramount, and they split. Mm. And so then Paramount saw, oh, we're going to lose our rights to Star Trek unless we make a movie, which is what happens with so many big companies. Like, I know Sony... And Spider Man, X Men, um, with Fox, Mm. like this happens all the time. And Fantastic Four, they own a franchise for a certain amount of time. And then once it starts to expire, you gotta start making a movie or it's gonna belong to somebody else. And so that's what happened with Star Trek, and why they wanted to make 2009. You mean it wasn't a valiant
0: effort to reboot the franchise in really yeah. exciting yeah. way? It was <laughs> yeah. just to make money. It was what? just to make money, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's like one of my biggest nitpicks about the Star Trek franchise, uh, and you know it's the same with Star Wars too. I think, but I've always felt like Star Trek, in particular, as a as a profit-making machine, if you will, it's always kind of abused the fans in some ways. Yeah, and it's never really kind of treated them the way that we treat the franchise. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me that they're like, oh, we need to make this movie or else we're going to lose our license. So, I mean, and that's probably why they threw it into the hands of someone who makes money, which would be J.J. Abrams. They wanted that to be, you know, a guaranteed success for not just the Trekkies, but getting new butts in the seats.
1: Absolutely.
2: That's so true. Yeah, he's such a big name that like immediately people are like, oh, Abrams? Ooh.
0: <laughs> well
1: so it's an interesting story because he wasn't initially going to direct the movie but there were two main writers for this movie it's um alex kurtzman which is a familiar name well, um, yes. and then roberto orsi so they are two different writers and there was an interview that orsi did
0: i believe in yeah, actually I assume you going to read it as a star date right
1: yeah in this <laughs> date, exactly um, <laughs> nonsensical numbers. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: yes um in 2009 actually in march so uh right around when the movie was coming out. And he said that uh, him and Alex Kurtzman were from two different worlds. Orsi was born and raised in Mexico City, and Alex Kurtzman is from the U.S. And so writing this movie was... Pretty easy for both of them because it was like writing for Kirk and Spock. We see mm. both of their journeys from childhood in this movie, and so they were kind of mimicking that, and yet they both are together writing for a Star Trek movie. I thought it was interesting that it mirrored their own paths in that way. And the idea for a reboot came not from 2009 or 2008, but actually from 1968 because Gene Roddenberry initially, after it, you know, he knew Star Trek the original series wasn't going to last forever. He wanted to make a Academy years series where it was not necessarily Kirk and Spock, but just like Starfleet Academy, which I think would be an awesome series yeah. and <laughs> I would love to see it, but ultimately it didn't end up happening. We had 10 years between the original series and the motion picture where we had the animated series and really mm-hmm. nothing else. Ronberry was planning for Star Trek phase two, but that didn't happen. And that turned into motion picture. So he kept pushing over and over again, let's do a prequel. Let's do a prequel. Something about the academy. And Rihanna and I talked about, about this on our Undiscovered Country podcast, but before that was a movie, that was going to be the Academy years and that <laughs> was that was their plan until they realized, oh, it's the 25th anniversary of the original series. We should probably have the original cast back to say goodbye to them. So this idea about a prequel has been floating around for so long, and they finally, Alex Kurtzman and Orpsey were like, okay, let's do it. This is it. But they weren't quite sure how to exactly finesse it. Initially, they were going to do actually a prequel about Kirk's ancestor named Tiberius Chase. And what? have him be at the academy.
0: The old Tiberius Chase.
1: Yeah, like, I'd love to see it. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that's the only reason we hear, like, Tiberius in this movie is because mm-hmm. that was the origin when of the He's like, that's plot. the worst. Yeah, that's yeah. the worst name. I'm like, yeah, same Thor. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, they brought in J.J. Abrams to help finesse the plot and the script so just as a producer role like he can give him some money and help with some of the executive stuff but once he read the script he was so enticed by it he knew if i let another director do this i'm going to be so jealous and angry at them so i just better do it which is crazy <laughs> and that was exactly their intention was they wanted to bring in new fans who weren't exactly like star trek fans already wow so I just love this. Like, they achieved their goal. Abrams, self-admittedly, like, didn't really know Star Trek that much. He kind of randomly watched episodes when he was a kid that whenever it was on in syndication, he's a big Star Wars fan, which you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but even for by better watching, or worse, yeah, for yeah. better or worse, um, and that shows up a little bit in this movie. And I know a lot of fans have said, which I don't, I can't confirm if it's official or not, but a lot of people have said that this was kind of his beta testing for Star Wars that he made mm. 2009 as a test for himself and for audiences. Like, can I make a sexy sci-fi essentially, and like bring <laughs> that new life into Star Wars? Because I'm sure
0: they were already planning on making, you know, the next trilogy. Of yeah. Star Wars. I can tell you I'm one of those people who has said that Abrams considered this film as like his audition tape for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. There's there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as I'm sure as we're going to get into it, I mean, there are so many so there's so much Star Wars in this film. This really is Star Wars to Star Trek. Uh, yeah.
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, like the antithesis of the motion picture. Exactly it what. Is absolutely
0: <laughs> the opposite of what Star Trek has been before this. Yeah, <laughs> I do hope uh, Ron Berry would like this
1: movie, but he might. Be, I mean, he is I don't a purist, think he would. so
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he would have been mad. But honestly, like, I don't know. I think that to this movie speaks so much to the era in which it came out, even the music, the sort of sexism but also like they're trying to get away from it you can tell but it's just like not working i'm like this is just so specific to a certain era that like i think ronberry would have been like what what is going on not <laughs> enough
1: talking for Roddenberry, i think yeah
0: <laughs> this is the fast and furious does star trek that's actually probably a better illusion isn't it
1: yeah yeah, yeah. well and when we get Absolutely. to beyond that's the fast and furious director so like, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. that's true yeah. <laughs> on a motorcycle like yeah (laughs) yeah um one other thing about the history and then we can actually jump into the plot but jj abrams when he thought about star trek he just thought star trek is about kirk and spock period (laughs) and so that was his mentality going into this movie and i'm actually not that mad about it because i love the whole crew and i think that's really important that everybody gets their part. Rian and I have talked about in the original series movies how like Sulu constantly gets shafted and has yeah. nothing to Jordy do. Geordi too, like Jordy. he's always just. Yeah, Beverly Crusher has nothing to do. Um, mm-hmm. So I like as much as he says it's about Kirk and Spock, I do feel like the characters all get their moment, and especially having Ahura. Play such a big role in here was really exciting for me, and that was also something from my first viewing of Trek I was really surprised about was that whoa, her is like a main character, which is
0: great. Yeah,
2: with more than a personality of just like hailing frequencies open. Yeah, or doing a fan dance, mm-hmm. you know.
0: <laughs> it was a good choice though, because otherwise, I mean, you could have used Chapel, you could have used Rand, but they really aren't as memorable. I mean, her yeah. is really yeah. the only clear choice, and it really does add some interesting tension throughout the film.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, well, let's get into it. Um, What are your guys' thoughts about this opening scene? Because it's just a giant, crazy ship, and you have no idea what's going on. We see Kirk's dad, and we see the captain of the Kelvin, and everything is going on. What were your first impressions? Did you like how this movie started? Uh, Matthew,
0: take it away. Uh, I will say the first thing that always sticks out to me is the Kelvin and how much I hate that design. I, oh, I hate yeah. that ship. I hate how that thing <laughs> looks. It's just always bothered me. I, I've never liked that type of starship design anyway. Um, yeah. But um, it, it is kind of fun looking at this because it's like every time I watch it, even though I know it's coming, I'm always like, oh, look at this young, fresh faced Chris Hemsworth here showing up in like, yeah. one of his first big roles ever.
1: And not buff Chris Hemsworth. Buff yeah, he has baby all. face. Like, yeah.
0: It's like, eat some protein, dude. I'm uh, like, really, <laughs> he's so tiny here. Yeah. I'm like, I owe him now. This, I mean, yeah. um, it, it's so weird seeing him though. And um, but yeah, that that's just the part that still stands out to me is how hideous the Kelvin is, and Chris Hemsworth has missed leg day for many years and has not gone to leg day at all yet. <laughs> um. Yeah,
2: something that really strikes me about this scene is just the tension that starts right away. I mean. We've had a couple of movies we've talked about that start in Medea's Rest in the middle of the action. But for the most part, these Star Trek movies start pretty slow. And it takes, like, a half an hour for them to pick up. I mean, even even Voyage Home, which is, like, one of the most classic films of all time, is, like, like, pretty boring until you nodding. get back yeah. in time. <laughs> yeah, and so... I think that this is one of its strengths and particularly because we've been talking about it catering to a particular like age range and an audience that is looking for Star Wars but not getting it yet. I think this is really perfect, a really good way to start because we're also getting the name Kirk right away and that is like the perfect hook, line and sinker way to just, like, reel at some Trek fans. You know, you say Kirk and you talk about his dad and we just we did a family series here on our podcast. and we just don't get a lot about Kirk's family. And so this movie is so instrumental in us learning more, even if it's in this parallel world. And we still do get to learn about George Kirk in the prime timeline later on. And I just think it's really important to start this way because it also informs literally all of Kirk's decision makings after this. Like, even in his next scene that he's in where he's a kid, like, is completely informed by the fact that his father sacrificed himself, you know, as captain of Starship for 10 minutes. Like, it's just
1: incredible. So... I really appreciated it. I thought Um, that. I'm sorry to interrupt, Rihanna. It was 12 minutes. Oh, 12 minutes. Dare you to do better? Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Thank
2: you. Thank you. Um, You're so right. How could I get that wrong? (laughs) For 12 minutes, and like it's just so cool to see this perspective and also us getting villains that like you're kind of like what what's going on who are these people lightning storm in space what's going on so i think it it does create enough like confusion and mystery with like the grounding of us getting the names getting the understanding that oh my god this is kirk's dad ah crazy so
1: i really appreciated that see okay i love what you said about hating the design of the kelvin because i hate the design of nero's ship it's awful. It's ugly. Is that really a mining (laughs) ship? Like, how can you mine with that? (laughs) Unless like the tentacles move or something? I just feel like it doesn't make any sense. And it's gigantic. It's so huge.
0: The the entire art design boggles my mind to this day of that film. Really all the films, honestly, like they they did some cool stuff in the second film, I think. But I mean, there's a reason why we Mm -hmm. don't see a lot of starships in any of these movies. There's not a lot of variety because yikes. Um, but I actually, I do want to uh, go back to a point you mentioned about is how like how the film opens up and how it's kind of like in the middle of, the, of action. And uh, I think coming from a cinematic perspective, also, uh, this is kind of a big thing that we see throughout the entire film is that everything is always moving. There's no stillness yeah. really in the film, mm-hmm. uh, whereas opposed to like if you, I mean, yeah, if we said the motion picture from, you know, the first one, it's just all still. But uh, really, you know, any of its predecessors, it's not nearly as frenetic as what's going mm-hmm. on here. Like, if it's not the cast running through a scene, or if they're not running, they're always walking very briskly. Uh, Yeah. The camera is also very much energetic and very much moving with everybody. It never stops moving. So, like, right from the get-go, like, you can tell visually, this is not your grandfather's Star Trek.
1: No. That's one of JJ's calling cards is shaky cam and lens flare.
0: (laughs) Oh, the lens flare. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. That's so true. And I think, too, like
2: it feels like it's younger in that way, like you're saying it's not your grandfather's Star Trek, this is very much your like grandson's or granddaughter's Star Trek, this is the time where like everyone's active and moving because they're youthful and like I don't know it just it has this very youthful vibe where I'm just like whoa like everyone's just so in shape and running around, very much West Wing too, like we never stop with the quips and the moving and like the running camera and everything, it's fascinating to me.
0: I think it's important, too, because uh, it really kind of breaks the expectations. I mean, like like I just said, Mm -hmm. it's not your grandfather's Star Trek, but it really kind of breaks the expectation of the normal fan, the normal person who wouldn't go see a Star Trek film. It's like as soon as they see people running around and all this crazy stuff happening, they're they're automatically into this thing. Like they want to Mm -hmm. know what's happening. They're intrigued. So, you know, that's why so many people who would never have seen Star Trek before suddenly came, because even just the first few minutes, the first segment, uh, it just hooks you so well because of what's going on. There's so much happening and you want to keep watching. And even the scene after, it's still not really quiet. There's really very few quiet times in this film.
1: So true. Absolutely. And I still have not made it through a viewing of this movie where I don't at least a little bit tear up in that first scene because I feel like Chris Hemsworth's acting is tremendous. When he's talking to his wife about, let's name him Jim, we can't name him Tiberius, it's awful. And then, you know, she's crying. It's just a very emotional scene and it it immediately hooks you because you're thinking what this this baby is being born in fire right now like this is the Mm -hmm. most chaotic way to be born and of course it's james t kirk the most chaotic amazing (laughs) person
0: it's like straight out of greek mythology too there's got to be i I, I wish you did more research on this but it's totally got to be some kind of like greek myth or something it's too it's too religious not to be
2: Mm absolutely absolutely too, yeah, Jennifer Morrison, who plays Winona Kirk in this, is just so amazing, like, it's so funny because she's, I've seen her only in comedic things, and so to see her, like, being so sad and serious, and we only get this small snippet of her, but she really just has me fully engaged every time she's on the screen, and I'm just like, whoa, this is so impressive.
1: I, yeah, I love it. I also think it's interesting, and this is a theme I'm going to bring up a lot, but I feel like, and I've never noticed this before, I've seen this movie so many times, but this rewatching for the pod, I feel like I do a little bit of different thinking. And I Mm -hmm. noticed that these scenes all have buddy scenes to each other. So we have Kirk being born, and then like Kirk as a child, and then we have like Spock as a child. I actually made a list of all of them because it just kept happening, where (laughs) there was one scene and then there'd be a companion scene later. Uh, There's like Two drill scenes where like the drill's being extended, there's two kidnap scenes, there's two kid scenes, there's two Spock and Kirk being emotional scenes, two court scenes, like it's kind of like a sandwich. And sometimes they happen back to back and sometimes they happen at the beginning and the end. But I actually really appreciate this and I feel like it's a safe way to deliver Star Trek to audiences because like I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but like when the drill is going down into Vulcan. That's kind of the test of this crew. And then when it happens later at the end, when the stakes are higher with Earth, you've already seen this, and so you know what's going on, and you're, like, set in the scene. And so I just thought it was really cool. It really made sense. Like, I love the layout of this movie, and I especially appreciate starting with baby Kirk and then baby Spock, because right away, when Kirk is, like, flying off the cliff, you're like, okay, yeah, I know who he is. (laughs) Like, that tracks, yeah. Yeah.
0: I think that the juxtaposition of the narratives is like super important to the story and by the way we should mention too like I think jumping around or talking about it Nabram's film is like kind of normal it's par for the yeah. course so yeah. uh, <laughs> exactly. nothing really yeah. I feel bad about this because the movie's moving around so much anyway yeah. but um mm-hmm. yeah like like the fact that these two narratives are balancing off each other is so great because I feel like my view of the film is is, is that it's more like this is a film about two star-crossed lovers who basically meet each other. This is a bromance film. Yes.
1: Yes. And, uh, Thank you. you
0: know, it absolutely is. And as I'm, as I'm older, too, I can definitely feel this a lot more because I know we're going to talk about certain other elements that we. I, I'm pretty much. Without having talked to you guys about this beforehand, I feel like we're going to have similar complaints about things later on. So before we even get into <laughs> that, um, I, I will say that you're know really nothing else matters in this movie except for the bromance of Kirk and Spock. Yes. That's all this film yes. is here for. <laughs>
2: Thank you for saying that. That's so essential to this and it makes so much sense that like they wanted to write a Kirk and Spock movie, you know, because they are very dynamic characters and very different in these such intriguing ways and even seeing their different upbringings. I was so glad we got a Vulcan scene. I'm such a huge fan of Vulcan culture that like any more info I can get about Vulcan, I'm just like eating it up. It's so good and to see the various types of pressures they're under and how vastly different they are, but how they still are like struggling in their own ways and developing in their own ways and then coming together it's just oh it's
1: brilliant
0: it it reminds me of this line from rocky where like rocky and adrian are on their like first date in the ice rink uh, I think it's what the scene is, and basically, I think he's, like, saying, like, no, you you fill gaps. You fill my gaps. Yes. And that's very much what Kirk and Spock do for each other, is they fill each other's gaps. And uh, yes. in some ways, too, I feel like Uhura is kind of, like, the glue in the beginning, too, to kind of help get them together. So yeah. uh, it's it's such a romance story, really. It's, it's so cute, those two.
1: Absolutely. Man, I'm <laughs> so glad you talked about Rocky. I'm such, I'm, like, <laughs> such a huge Rocky fan. I was like, oh, my God, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so good. Yeah. I totally agree.
2: Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's important. Well, and one other thing I want to say, Ashlyn, about like you were talking about the dual scenes. I think, too, a lot of them do involve Kirk and Spock at different points. You know, you're saying the beginning, and then also the scene where we have like the intense beaming back to back when we're on Vulcan. We have Chekhov running to the transporter room going, I can do that. I can do that. And then he, you know, he saves Kirk and Sulu. And so then I'm sort of put to ease. I'm like, okay, well, Chekhov knows this shit. Like, this is fine. And then. Like Amanda dies and he like can't save her, Spock can't save her, and so it's this completely like it throws you off because you just saw this like triumphant scene where Kirk and Sulu are saved, Chekhov's being adorable and all this stuff, and then it's immediately followed by this like horrible tragedy. And so I think it's just such amazing juxtaposition and like it really
1: subverts my expectations every time I'm seeing the second of the scenes pair. Absolutely. I love that. It's so true because you are at a false sense of security at that point. Mm -hmm. Well, and I want to talk a little bit about how we meet each character because at this point, it's been like almost 50 years since our original series has been aired. And these characters are all legendary. Even if Sulu only flew a helicopter in Voyage Home, like he's still (laughs) an epic character. Yeah, And so I'm excited, especially like as a a new fan and then now is like, of course, an aged Star Trek nerd. (laughs) I am so excited to be meeting Chekhov, to be meeting Sulu and Uhura. And I love the scene of Ahura in the bar in Iowa, which I don't know why Starfleet is like recruiting. I guess that's where they're building the Enterprise on the ground.
2: Probably a lot of space. I mean, they have this shuttle that the Enterprise is like built at space dock, but like I guess the shuttle like transports parts and stuff. And maybe just because Iowa is like has a lot of farmland so they can use space i don't know
0: i mean they got to get kirk in there somehow right so this is their way yeah. of doing it. it just just happens to be that he's within motorcycle drive distance to where they're building the enterprise
2: yeah, yeah. isn't iowa pretty big like i feel like he could have driven like a couple hours but stop using <laughs> your
0: logic on this film yeah it's <laughs> exactly. no space for logic here True. <laughs>
1: they're like don't think about it just like put your blinders on and enjoy this movie
0: <laughs> lens flare lens flare you can't remember <laughs> yeah. what before you now
1: Yes. So I've always wondered why Ahura orders so many drinks. I assume it's for her friends that are also there, but I'm like, is she just here to have a really good night?
0: (laughs) She is very greedy. Yes.
1: I think she wants
2: to try out everything. Like, I think she's just curious about all the different drinks, and maybe she's doing like a little sampling.
1: I have. That an... makes
0: sense as a communicator. Like, it would make sense for her to like want to dip her toes into different different languages of drinking. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, and I'm glad this like random bar in Iowa has such a variety. Like, I can't wait for the future when we have like Ferengi drinks and slushy yeah. mixes and things like that. <laughs> I love it also because I mean it's sad in the original series Nyota her first name is never said and they actually invented her name for this movie because Jean Ronberry like never wrote a first name for her which Ah! Uh, (laughs) it's
2: similar with uh, with Una just getting named as like literally she was just number one before and so it's just like let's name some women let's give them actual like human characteristics maybe I don't know
0: (laughs) It only took fifty, sixty years, right? Like,
2: yeah, to not so long even think
0: about what's her first <laughs> yeah. name.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I am glad they focused on that though. Like, we it, they buried the lead of it being her name, you know, and like we had to learn it because then I think it makes people realize, like, oh my god,
1: we never knew her first name. Well, and I think that's it's the joke at first, and she plays it off like Kirk. You know, he has to wait till he gets to know me better. Uh, to know my first name and also she just does not want to be involved with him so withholding that information keeps that wall between them which Mm -hmm. I like but I think they're also like referencing the fact that she didn't have a first name until now
0: yeah like for me not really being uh, as big of a Star Trek fan when this came out I never even knew up until recently that like they didn't ever give her a first name so Mm -hmm. you know in some ways I'm kind of happy that this happened because it also it fills in some gaps, if you will, uh, for, for new fans. So they already know this information. There's no mystery about it. And it's, it's kind of, I think, a really great thing, honestly, because, you know, now we know. <laughs> and we yeah. always know for, for anybody who, who is now in, you know, 2022 and beyond, who looks back on those episodes from the 60s, they're going to know her first name. And that's I think kind of kind of amazing, kind of special.
2: It's like the oh, best retcon. Yes. I love it. Yeah, it really. <laughs> yeah. Is. yeah, yeah. And like that's one of the many reasons I think that people dismiss this movie too quickly is that it does give us a lot that the series didn't, and it gives us more on everybody. And getting to see them in Starfleet Academy is something that like i've always wanted like i just didn't realize it you know until we're here in the academy and seeing everyone interact i think it was truly the only times we're getting academy scenes before this is what like picard hanging out with boothby or or (laughs) you know wesley's got his little trial (laughs) so like it's just unless you
0: read the uh, starfleet adventures books which i don't know if you've ever seen those that's
2: amazing i haven't (laughs)
0: I have a few of those paperbacks. Still. I remember reading those actually as like, I guess, I wasn't quite a teen yet, so preteen, I guess. Yeah. That would have been mm-hmm. your only other time to look at the Starfleet Academy was that or the Marvel comics Starfleet Academy series, Ooh, That's so cool. which is a I deep cut, I don't know if you've, if you've ever read those either, but no, uh, they're no, kind of fun.
2: That sounds amazing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> 19 issue series. It lasted, I think, longer than it was supposed to last, but it was actually yeah. pretty cool.
1: That's amazing, wow. I love that. And actually, I remember Alex Kurtzman saying when he was writing this movie, he did view some Star Trek novels as being canonical, which is very, like, Roddenberry was like, no way, nothing's <laughs> canonical. But he, I think he had select ones, and he was like, yeah, that's canonical, all good. Like, sure. So it's interesting that you say that. I wonder if he pulled
0: anything from, the, from those
1: books. I don't know.
0: I, mean, I, I highly doubt he would go to Young Wharf Adventures for yeah.
1: inspiration. <laughs> yeah, maybe not, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> young war first lizard people i think i'm pretty sure it's a book that ever happened
2: that's the best thing i've heard that's amazing wow.
1: <laughs> i also love zoe saldana and i just have to talk about her a little bit because this movie is filled with actors that were like a little unknown or just like not quite as big like this is before their blow up zoe saldana is of course in like the two I highest, think, grossing. highest grossing yeah. films yeah avatar mm-hmm. and endgame mm-hmm. um What? Yeah. Like, like, what a legend. (laughs) Yeah, what a legend. I mean, we talked about Chris Hemsworth already. Well, Bruce Greenwood was, like, known already, Mm -hmm. but, like, they're, they're, and Chris Pine, too. I mean, he's like.
2: Even Carl Urban was, like, not as doing stuff
1: at that time. Well, Lord of the Rings. Oh,
0: does. Yeah. I mean, no one really quite understood the genius of him yet. Yeah, that's true. They they didn't quite really Mm -hmm. come to understand and appreciate just, like, how amazing he is as a performer. Seriously
1: yeah. amazing, yeah. As
0: McCoy is like, it's almost better than DeForest Kelly's <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually going to ask this of all of you, like, whose actor do you think did the best or stood up the most to their corresponding character?
0: Yeah, I think the interesting thing about that question too is it's like you're basically asking to compare the original cast to what's happening today. And it's almost unfair to do that because they had a really tough task in front of them, all the actors, they're basically like, you know, no matter what they do, they're going to always be compared to the originals. And that's just like almost unfair out the gate. Um, So it's like, you know, yeah, Carl Urban did like an amazing DeForest Kelly and did an amazing McCoy, but it's like, they also made choices that are unique to themselves. Mm -hmm. So I, I think everybody honestly, like really does stand up on their own two legs. They had to do impersonations a little bit, but again, this, this, Abram Star Trek kind of flipped everything on its head, so they did get to kind of run with it their own way, too. Uh, so I really think there's no weak links in this film. Totally I totally agree. Great
1: answer. <laughs> yeah. For me, I was going to say Carl Urban. Now that you're, you know, speaking so eloquently about, <laughs> you can't compare them. Um, I actually think that Chris Pine is one of my favorites in this because I'm just glad he didn't dive in and just do William Shatner. You know, that would have been mm-hmm. wrong and cuz he's not William Shatner and he's not trying to do an exact copy, and I feel like he gives us a Kirk that is Maybe like the intended Kirk. That's maybe that's blasphemous, but um, <laughs> so much in the original series, Kirk is described by other people. Like in Where No Man Has Gone Before, Gary talks about him as walking books, a guy who studies really hard and works really hard. And like obviously, Kirk does work really hard. And Chetner's portrayal of him, I feel like, is more like he is street smarts more than book smarts. And I feel like Chris Pine is able to kind of play both where he is incredibly like womanizing every woman he sees but also he's really smart and he's the first one who puts together that the lightning storm in space is nero or is you know also occurred on the day of my birth is that line like he's the only one who puts it together and i mean he's cheating on the kobayashi maru and so I think he brings kind of new life to the character that doesn't have kind of the toxic, like Shatner vibes, <laughs> I guess. <Yeah. laughs>
0: what does God need with a spaceship? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're like, okay,
2: Shat, yeah. Ashlyn that's so well said I think too like I just love when Pike says to Kirk he says do you enjoy being the only genius level repeat offender in the Midwest you know and so there's just this just instantly gives us a sense of like yeah Kirk is a genius and he still is gonna act crazy and just gonna go out with every woman he sees and all of this so I, I think that's a really good point Ashlyn. And I think for me, Simon Pegg really stole the show. Mm. Like, I think that though he was a very different Scotty, he still had the core of Scotty and got to bring like a whole new life into him. And the saddest thing about this movie is that Simon Pegg is in more of it, you know, like, <laughs> the fact that he only shows up like halfway through is tragic. But I also like think it's a brilliant introduction to his character. It's it left me the whole time waiting for Scotty, you know, like I'm I'm like we're missing someone, like where's Scotty, what is going on, why isn't he on the Enterprise, like the love of his life, you know, <laughs> right now, <laughs> and so um, his introduction is so fun, so not what I expected, it's just like he truly blew away my expectations of like the character of Scotty, and yeah, it's just so impressive. But I think all of them did do such incredible, unique things for their characters and made them their own in these really special ways.
0: And I, I don't want to step on the toes of my hosts here, but I feel like we've made it this far and haven't even mentioned the name of Zachary Kinto. And like, my goodness. Oh my, Spock. Oh my god, how did like, he do that? <laughs> he's so good, yeah. <laughs> the thing about like Spock, and I think with Vulcans in general, is like, People forget, and a lot of folks who will make fun of Star Trek, they always seem to forget this too. Like, to be a Vulcan, it's not just that you're going to be flat acting, devoid of anything going on. There is a lot of depth in not showing emotion and how to do that, and how to do that effectively to still show an emotion or something. Yes. And uh, he is so good at that, because he's also a conflicted Spock. This is a Spock we really haven't seen before, other than like, you know, Ponfar once. Um, Yeah. this This is really, you know, kind of the first time we're really seeing a Spock learning how to be himself. So, uh, you know, Zachary was so great at this, like, wow, you know, like, like I, I'm happy to say that, you know, between him, Ethan Peck as well, there hasn't really been a bad Spock and it's really great to hear, right? But um, yes. yeah, he was so good at this because like, he had, again, like, I, I feel like everybody was comparing Chris Pine to Shatner, but I think more people were focused on Spock because mm-hmm. Spock is so much more critical to what Star Trek is than Shatner or rather than Kirk, you know? Uh, yeah. Spock is Spock is bigger than the franchise.
2: Exactly. That's so true. Every single movie, pretty much, we've talked about that has Spock in it, focuses on Spock. You know, I mean, this is the thing is he's such the core and i think yeah i think zachary kinto does like such a good job i my only complaint with him and it's not even him it's just the writing i think like he's like played so like so straight that it's like a little bit like cringy i don't know it just felt like that part of spock i think it's mostly the writing and him being sort of this newer spock this like one who's experienced such different things than prime spock and that's why i think leonard nimoy's part in this movie is so essential too is that like we he's the only glimpse we get into our universe into the prime universe that we like know and love and understand so much about and so I think that the fact that Kelvin Spock got to be his own version and had to go through these horrific things to really like figure out how to deal with them it's just so fascinating and i think too like the fact that Sarek is really different is really interesting to me you know i'm like trying to figure out in my head sort of like what can i headcan in this to like have more understanding of why Sarek is a lot gentler in this universe and a lot less like critical of spock i mean i'm sure the criticisms are there but i think a part of it is like you know maybe michael wasn't in this universe and maybe there wasn't that extra pressure for him to have to like go to uh, the the Vulcan Science Academy, or and to not join Starfleet to follow the Vulcan ways, and I don't know. It feels like there was something different in his childhood that, like, maybe he was more devout on like Vulcan practices but we see him like beating up some kids (laughs) so like I don't know but I did really appreciate that Sarek was played differently as well I mean we see him played a little bit different in Discovery too and all of his portrayals are amazing and really well done but what did you both think about like Sarek and their bond in this movie?
1: I agree that it is a gentler one I think part of it is that I mean Especially the second scene, so I'm talking about parallel scenes again, we get one scene where he's advising Spock, and this is pre-Vulcan, and he's basically saying, you're a child of two worlds, you get to decide which path that you want to choose. And I love that because it's not pressure on Spock, because he's at this point trying to decide between the Vulcan Science Academy and Starfleet, and he encourages him to do what he wants to do, which is not the Sarek that we know. Rihanna and I have, or I guess it's basically my, like, headcanon I kind of invented that is in, because there's an animated series episode, uh, Rihanna what's yesteryear? it called? Yeah, Yesteryear. <laughs> Rihanna's my, like, fill in the blank. She fills in <laughs> my space, <Yeah. laughs> um, my blanks. Um, but, yeah, in Yesteryear, Spock goes through the Guardian and goes back to his childhood and everything, And so my headcanon is that he goes to alternate universe uh, to the 2009 verse. And because he tells Sarek, like, you have to be nice to your son, basically. (laughs) And so that's why I think Sarek is nicer in this one (laughs) is because Spock is returning to that universe. Anyway, there's it's totally my made up fact, but I really like Sarek in this movie. And I think there's not really room to have daddy issues, honestly. And so we have to focus those. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. Absolutely. Kirk already has those. And Spock just lost his mom. And so I think they have to have like parallels on both sides where, well, and Kirk lost his dad, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So they really do understand each other. And so I think it's important that Sarek is supportive in these movies. And also just to kind of like, get in there. I was really thinking a lot about Discovery and Book. Um, This is like, here Mm -hmm. we go, some spoilers if you haven't seen the most recent um, episodes of Discovery, the most recent season, but Book also loses his home planet. I just thought it was interesting that that happens to two different characters and neither of them can handle it. I wouldn't handle it well, Yeah. but I just thought it was interesting having seen Discovery and then going back to this movie, like, oh, he's going through what Book is going through. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: I think I was more interested in Amanda Grayson, mm. uh, played by yes. Winona Ryder in this yes. film. Yes. Uh, because mm-hmm. to me, be like, uh, Sarek is kind of, like, there to kind of move the plot along, too. I think yeah. Amanda is, is a lot more crucial to the development of Spock, or at least from my, my viewpoint. Uh, because, you know, again, as we mentioned, this is Spock kind of learning how to be what he thinks a Vulcan is supposed to be. Like, you know, he's got being on that planet that's there telling him, oh, you're not, you're too much of a human. You're not being enough of a Vulcan. And his mom is that human link. So I think, like their relationship is super important because it's also i think the focal point of who spock is trying to become he's trying to decide do i want to be like my dad or like my mom and Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the day he's kind of a combination of those two things and i think by the end of the film he realizes that so to me i think it's really amanda that plays a big role in the death of amanda as well it's just like that really kind of helps form who spock is by the end of this film it lets him know like i can have a deeper emotion for this kirk guy it doesn't just need to be this clean clinical kind of thing i can actually feel something for him and that's an important good thing to have
2: I love that. Well said. Yeah, and I think that really harkens to Spock and Spock's conversation at the (laughs) end of this movie. (laughs) Not confusing at all. Prime Spock and Kelvin Spock have this beautiful discussion, you know, where Prime Spock is essentially like, we have to meet each other. Like, this is, there's so few of us left. And I think that he is such a good guide for Kelvin Spock because he has already navigated these pitfalls and of course they have different situations because of their you know parallel uh timelines and everything but they still have that core and that center and i think that like even that was such a great way for us to get some like spock character movement here was to bring in another spock and to show the differences of the two of them and when old spock or prime spock is talking to kirk he's saying that i'm emotionally compromised i just lost my home world like of course i'm gonna be and so like you said matthew i think that a lot of people forget that spock has emotions and he is going to feel these things and so it's just, it's so fun to me to see Zachary Quinto play a, like, more emotional Spock than what we get to see often in the original series. But just the two of them together is phenomenal.
0: Can I just make a note going back to something we talked about much earlier in the show, and that's action figures. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we are talking about how terrible these toys were from this film. Uh, yeah. Fun little tidbit here. There actually was plans to make an old man Spock figure, and they canceled it. Aww. Aww. So I'm going to send you guys <laughs> links, though, because there actually is prototype art of that, so you can see what it looked like. It would have been so cool if they actually hadn't made it. There was a bunch yeah. of cancer stuff that, that they didn't get off the ground with that series because it was such a bad action figure series. But uh, yeah, this sure. thing was so cool looking. So uh, yeah, you guys got to see that and share it with your audience.
2: that's amazing yeah we'll definitely throw it it. on our patreon yeah
1: that's amazing amazing oh my gosh um you both talked about earlier that these movies like basically all the star trek movies are actually just about spock and about how spock is larger than the franchise honestly and this film is no exception it's honestly just spock's journey (laughs) (laughs) Um, and i think one of the coolest parts specifically of this movie is that the small amount of information we get so when we first see Nimoy, and I'm like weeping because yeah. Nimoy's like in this cave and he like <laughs> raves the fire around and he turns around, he's there. He does a mind meld with Kirk that's very emotional. He says emotional transference is part of the meld. Sorry, because Kirk is crying too. Yeah. Um, like me. <laughs> and, Kirk uh, is all of us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we get a little bit of knowledge about what is happening in the Prime universe. And this is exactly the plot that they take for Picard and like future Star Trek shows where the sun at Romulus is going Nova. And so it's going to be destroyed and everyone is trying to come together. Well, are they Mm -hmm. really? You know, um, (laughs) people, they're trying to save Romulus and the Federation is, we don't really know anything from this movie about what the Federation is doing, but we know that Spock specifically is creating this red matter so, like, amazing. Yeah. Uh, we, this Red
0: McGuffin matter, yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. We have, yeah, that just does whatever the plot needs it to do. I know, and, you know, hardcore fans will have watched Unification Part 1 and 2 in Next Generation, and so you know that Spock is on the path trying to unify uh, Romulus and Vulcan, which is so awesome. And so I love that they took that and made Spock the person to be like, leading the battle, essentially, to try to save Romulus. Because he, I mean, he's an ambassador at this point. He is someone who's going to go to bat for Romulus, even if no one else will. I, again, we don't really know what's happening with the Federation in this movie, but we know in Picard, like, they're half-assing it. And yeah. everything happens on Mars, and mm-hmm. it's a nightmare. <laughs> um, so I just thought it was so cool that we get just the tiniest of glimpses about what happens in the Prime Universe, and then later it's expanded so much. So I just, again, like what we've been talking about this whole time, going back and watching this now, I'm just so excited to see that they're actually weaving all of these plot devices together.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and the fact that like we get this parallel, essentially, of how Romulus is destroyed in the Prime Timeline, and then Vulcan is destroyed in the Kelvin. And so it's all because of Nero. And I just, can we talk about Nero for a minute, even though I don't really want to?
0: <laughs> What's there to say about Nero? <laughs>
2: not much frankly he was definitely not a part of our villain series did not make the cut we, no we did
1: not we straight up ignored Nero in our villain series it's just I Alex
0: don't know it was a better villain than Nero yeah seriously. yeah thank you
2: yeah it's just frustrating to me because so much of this movie succeeds so well and the villain just does not and this is sort of common for trek films i mean our best villains are the borg queen and khan which are like you know god tier villains but then the rest of them are just like not very good and nero is is very similar. And so I just find myself like, of course I know his motivation. That's not the issue here. It's more just like how obsessed he is with Spock. I think he's like low-key in love with him because he's like literally following him all around. He's like, do you know location of Ambassador Spock? And of course the captain on the Kelvin is like, I've never heard that name. Like what is going on? You know? So I don't know. It's just the fact that he waited 25 years for Spock to appear. All of this stuff is just... It's so intense, Nero. I'm like, I understand. You lost your home world and your wife. That's horrible. But like, I don't know. It just, it doesn't really like work for me as as a villain plot and as sort of how he interacts.
0: He's not a good villain. Uh, he's... You know, this is kind of why I'm glad I got to mention how I felt about this film being a romance, And uh, you just brought up a great point, too, how this is like, you know, he thinks you think that Nero's in love with Spock. In my mind, Spock and Kirk are like what a healthy relationship is. Yeah. And Nero and Prime Spock, that's like, you know, unhealthy, toxic love right there. So, yeah. Uh, again, we got, we're got we back to the juxtaposition thing. But, um, you know, Nero sucks. Nero sucks. Um, there's nothing else to really say about him. I mean, I, I think I've talked about him before on other shows, too, where it's just like, in my opinion he is just there to drive the plot too and he's just there to kind of drive action scenes that is mm-hmm. his only purpose is to add more action in the film because otherwise he is completely irrelevant to the film and i know a lot of people complain about how he's irrelevant and he's not a great villain i mean don't worry in the next film you get a much better you get two villains in fact mm-hmm. but, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah they, they make up how bad this one was by giving you two in the next film but uh you know <laughs> yeah. you don't need nero nero is so unimportant to this film because the film is my opinion about kirk and spock and their story that's all it mm-hmm. is Nero's just there for explosions.
2: Yeah, there to destroy Spock's planet and there to cause them grief, essentially. Yeah.
0: He's just so emo.
2: Yeah, <laughs> he really is. He just lays in the dark in his, like, weirdly colored ship. I'm like, also, Long what is this ship? Coat. Yeah, and it has, like, so many... Uh, this is also so Star Wars, is that it has so many, like, places you can just fall off of and yeah. die.
0: Yeah, <laughs> talk about bad design. Star Trek <laughs> would never do that. Like, proper Star Trek uh, would never no. do that. The Okudas and Drexler must be, like, just so angry at that part of the film. <laughs> serious. Oh I'm
1: sure. Yeah. Eric Bana as Nero, <laughs> Rihanna and I have a joke where like we constantly reference this movie, especially that line where he's like, Hi Christopher, I'm Nero <laughs> <laughs> Such a lame introduction. Yeah, he just destroyed Vulcan, but I just feel like his presence on screen is not that notable. Mm-hmm. I honestly get more from his little lackey, like the guy who's kind of walking around <laughs> the heroes to where Nero is. I'm like, okay, this guy. Um, he yeah. and Kirk has that fight with him on the ship. I got your good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, love just, the goon. I love the goon. Yeah, I think yeah. he does more for me than Nero. I don't even know if they were trying to have this connection, but... It is interesting that, you know, Nero's dealing with the loss of his planet. Spock is dealing with the loss of his planet. And so you could see, like, oh, Spock could go really crazy. But I I think what really makes Nero the worst is because he's, like, he's just waiting for 23 years for Spock to come out of the black hole behind him. And he's literally doing nothing. Yeah, so emo. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, so emo. He's just hanging out in his ship in a remote corner of space and not doing anything. Which is really good, like, I don't know, he definitely didn't have, like, Starfleet time travel training, but he's doing it really well. He did yeah. not interfere, at least, like, with the Federation.
2: Until he decided to destroy a whole
1: planet, yeah, but, you know. Yeah,
0: exactly. He's just there vibing, listening to Morrissey, no big deal.
2: Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, exactly. Painting yeah. his nails black, just chilling. Yeah. Seriously.
0: That's what the goon's there for.
2: Yeah. They yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah. That's the positive love in his life, <laughs> is the goon. Yeah. <laughs>
0: paint my nail but don't fall off that ledge yeah exactly
2: <laughs> i think that nero is just another way for them to do a revenge plot too you know i mean it's just a problem because we've seen this so much in star trek like every other film or every film is a revenge plot and so it's just like okay i've, I've seen it
1: let's move on yeah i agree and let's yeah. move on from nero yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> never to be spoken about again yeah Exactly. Yeah. we haven't really gone in depth on lens flare if you want to do a diatribe about that but... yes,
1: <laughs> yes. The first scene that I really notice it is when the drill is descending onto Vulcan and Kirk and Sulu and the red shirt do that dive, Mm -hmm. especially when Sulu is doing his fight. I feel like I can't see anything that's going on. And even the shots of the Enterprise at the same time, it's just impossible to see. And it adds to the drama because I can't really see what's (laughs) happening. So I'm like, did Sulu get stabbed? I don't know.
0: It's a very, very overly lit Apple store.
1: Yes. Yeah. Literally. That's exactly what, yeah, that's exactly what the
2: Enterprise looks like too. I mean, even all of the consoles on the side, I remember that when I was getting all these action figures, I actually got like a set of the Enterprise bridge at the same time and was trying to like sit them down. Yeah, Yeah, it was horrible. (laughs) They couldn't even sit down. I was like, what? (laughs) How can you sit in the captain's chair? But like, there's these like weird consoles that are like see-through and Like, I think they were trying to make it look new and like shiny and everything, but it's just so distracting sometimes. Like, I think for me, I get kind of a sensory overload in some of those scenes where we're on the bridge and Kirk's yelling, Spock's yelling, they're fighting, or like something's going on where Kirk's yelling, Pike's yelling, you know. There's all so many scenes where we're seeing a million lens flares and having like so much going on in action. And I actually once when I watched this movie tried to do a drinking game with just lens flares because I was like I know that if I had any other you know things I'll be dead. And I still was pretty dead because it's just like an inordinate amount per scene.
0: <laughs> Choose to live.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Today <laughs> I did is not that day. <laughs> today is not a good day to die. <laughs> Lens, not a lens, lens flare, flare. Yeah. oh yeah it was a disaster matthew do you like the lens flare how does it work for you
0: you know i i think one of the only memories i have of seeing it the first time was the lens flare that just stood out to me so much um but watching again today i feel like i must just be desensitized to it because it didn't bug me as much it's noticeable a lot mm-hmm. of times but it didn't bother me nearly as much as it did or at least as much as i remember it doing back when i first saw it in 2009 because uh, yeah. we're, we're, we're so used to getting it now. I mean, the current series, they all have lens flare, not used nearly as much. But yeah, I'm definitely not hating it as much, even though it's hard to ignore it, too. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've definitely accepted it on all these different rewatches. And I, too, like this most recent one, I think mostly that scene that I just talked about was the biggest one. And otherwise, it was like, cool.
0: I like how we've gone through the stages of grief that now we're at the acceptance phase of the lens flare. <laughs> yeah.
1: You're so
2: right. We just like let it into our lives. All right, this happening. <laughs>
1: um, so I have a question actually for both of you. So we were talking about earlier that Kirk and Spock. It's that's what the film is all about. So I'm wondering because we have this progression of Kirk. You know, they're not friends at all, and they have. Uh, The trial because Kirk cheated on the Kobayashi Maru and that was Spock's test. And I don't know like in the original series if that was actually Spock's test or Spock. I didn't realize he had like this time at the Academy. It's cool because it, like, makes it extra annoying for Spock that Kirk, like, destroyed his test, you know? Mm-hmm. So they're definitely, like, supposed to be antagonists at the beginning of the film, and they have this whole arc, and now they're friends. It's enemies to lovers trope. <laughs> yeah. um, so when Pike goes on to Nero's ship, he promotes Kirk to first officer. How do you feel about this promotion from cadet to first officer officer type of situation? Like, did that irk you as a Trek fan?
0: That didn't bug me a ton, and it didn't bug me as much as what will happen later on in the film. It really, was it just kind of was like <laughs> that. It was almost like Pike's wave saying, hey, you're going to get some taste of responsibility right now. This is going to teach you a lesson. I feel like that's what it was more meant to do. Mm. We just didn't know it would turn out to him being promoted again <laughs> at very yeah. rapid pace. Uh, yeah, it definitely was not intended that way. I think it was a great way to, to do that into the plot, but it didn't bug me as much, really. Yeah, no, it actually felt natural in some ways to me as weird as it might have been, as, as unnatural as it is in a situation, uh, it, it didn't bug me a ton.
1: Brianna. Yeah.
2: I, I feel similarly, I think that it was mostly funny. Like, I'm just laughing my head off because, like, here's Kirk. We see him sort of being this irresponsible figure who is cheating on tests and not taking Starfleet seriously and doing it on a dare. You know, all of this stuff that, like, we don't see Kirk coming from a foundation of being, like, Mr. Starfleet. Like, he sort of can emulate in some of the original series and so it makes sense for sort of the chaos of his own life i feel like kirk at this point is like this might as well just happen (laughs) you know like i'm going along with it and pike has so much trust in kirk and i think that he's always sort of been his mentor and this is something i really like about this series particularly these these abram films and these you know this 2009 and and beyond (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no fun intended.
0: Oh, well. oh. <laughs> uh, movies. Your check's in the mail. Uh.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that they have such a great mentor-mentee dynamic going on here. And so I think it does come from, like you're saying, Matthew, like a place of this is a teaching moment, but also this is putting my trust in you and knowing that like you're really good on the fly, you can get the shit done when you're back against the wall, and Spock can be in command. Little did he know that that needed to be switched. (laughs) But I mean, I think it was a good trial for them and a good learning lesson for Kirk of like, oh my god, I am much, I do much better when I'm leading and not taking orders from a lot of people.
0: (laughs) I mean, I think what bothered me more was when Spock took over and then just like exiles Kirk onto the Hoth planet.
2: Oh my god. To deal with the
0: wampas and all that stuff. That that to me was the part where, and I, I gotta tell you guys, like, I, I can watch the film again and again. If it's on TV, I'll turn it on I'll watch it. But usually, as soon as it gets to that scene, I'm like, I'm out. And I'll come back in like 20 minutes once he gets Scotty.
2: Yeah. That was one of the most like, least Trek scenes I can think of, you know? It just was Star Wars or Jurassic Park, even. There's a bigger monster eating the smaller monster, and then it's chasing him, and, you know, it's just like...
0: We got this budget. We got to use it. There's always a bigger
1: fish. I mean, we all (laughs) saw the prequels uh, of Star Wars, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Ashlyn, what do you feel? How do you feel about this? Well, I'm just... I'm so interested in this, because for me, my biggest issue with this movie is how... They kind of like painted themselves into a corner by not making Kirk higher ranked, at least when the main plot starts, because having Spock and Kirk so distant in ranks, it's a problem if you're trying to also make them friends. And so I feel like they were trying to promote, promote, promote Kirk so he could catch up with Spock and become friends with him. And I just feel like I wish it would have been done in a better way. I go back and forth, honestly. Like, I have watched this movie before and the scene where Kirk basically gets his ass kicked by (laughs) Spock um, and then he assumes command because Spock realizes he's emotionally compromised. Mixed feelings about that. I ultimately feel that, like, Kirk is in the right. But then later, like, at the end of the movie when they've gone through everything together and everyone is just cool with Kirk being the captain after that when Spock has, like, way more experience and I think it was a choice on their part. And even old Spock, he comes in the movie and he says, this is not right, I should not be captain. And he's tries to correct this alternate universe, even though it's not like the natural flow. And so I guess for me, I just feel like at the end of this arc, when it's supposed to be Kirk and Spock are best friends, it's a little bit forced. And this most recent rewatch, I actually didn't quite feel that way. I felt like, okay, actually, they had a pretty natural friendship that developed. But I know that it's gonna, like, take further movies for me to be completely convinced. So I'm just, I'm wondering for you two, you've kind of already talked about it. But at least for me, that's the biggest problem with this movie is that they should have started Kirk a little bit higher ranked than a cadet. (laughs) I
2: think it really comes down to the situation and the plot, like, they only have so much time, and so I agree. I think it would have been far better if we had more time to get to see Kirk become a lieutenant and a commander and all of this stuff, but like, with the crisis on Vulcan and with everything going on, everything's thrown out of loop. So I think it was intentional for us to feel also the chaos of the moment and to feel like, holy shit, Pike's leaving. He's, he's about to go get like tortured. This is horrible, and now, Kirk's a first officer Spock's the captain it's all of this stuff that like everyone's having to take in on the fly the other pilot had lungworm and so that's why Sulu's here I mean a lot of things are by coincidence that these cadets or these lieutenants or whatever get replaced into these positions on the ship like Ohura gets her position because the other guy doesn't know like he can't distinguish Romulan <laughs> from Vulcan are you like, what?! I mean, it's cool though. of course, Ahura can. She speaks all, all the dialects. She's a badass. She should get the job, but, like, I'm just so surprised that an incompetent officer as that <laughs> had it in the first place.
0: I mean, there's always incompetent officers in Star Trek series. They gotta be yeah. there so that the main characters can get their spotlight, but... True! Um, yeah, I guess I never really actually thought of it before in terms of the rank because, yeah, it always was something that bugged me. It always bugged me. I mean, as much as it didn't... Like, it wasn't, like, the kind of offense where I'm gonna turn off the thing as opposed to, like, you know, Kirk being exiled. But, mm-hmm. um... I guess because everything happens so fast in the movie, I don't have enough time to question it.
2: Mm-hmm. So I never
0: even really think about, like, oh, you know, yeah, why didn't they, like, promote him a little bit earlier or something? Because, you know, time did pass while he was at the Academy. We did have a time gap, basically, that we don't see happen. So he could have been promoted, like, once at least. It would have yeah. made some sense. But, uh, yeah, I guess just because things are so damn fast. Yeah, I've never, ever had a moment to question it before. So, yeah, you've just opened up my mind. My, my mind is blown at this very moment.
1: <laughs> well, I'm sorry, because now you're never going to unsee it. <laughs> I can't unsee this. I,
2: I'm, I'm just uh, I'm just thinking about Harry Kim watching this movie and just being oh, so sad. Talk
0: about emo. He's, he's hanging out with Nero. They're painting their nails black right now. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, and it even got worse because the more I was watching it and noticing it, I also heard like it's Lieutenant Ahura, it's Lieutenant Sulu. Everyone else are lieutenants, and so it has me questioning why McCoy was assigned. To be on the Enterprise in the first place, when he joined at the same time as Kirk, I can only think that maybe he went to med school and he wasn't like going to med school through Starfleet. He was only at the academy for strict like academy reasons. You know, he yeah wasn't, to like
2: actually get in
1: or whatever. Yeah, you know, it's like basic training for the military. <laughs> like he has to just you know get his rank and everything and become like a part of Starfleet. But it extra irked me. And I know probably they were doing it because Kirk has that scene where he's talking to Pike at the bar where Pike is trying to recruit him. And he says you could have your own, or what did he say? You buy four in eight eight. years. Or no, you can... did it
0: in less than a day. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> I think it's like you can graduate in four years and then have yeah. your own ship in eight. And mm-hmm. so Kirk graduates in three years. There's that whole scene transition where it says three years later. And you know, like he's... If you're taking the Kobayashi Maru, you're about ready to, to graduate, mm-hmm. or at least you're like nearing the end of your command program. And uh, so he did that. He graduated in three years, and I guess he's trying to have his own ship in eight. So maybe they're trying to play it off that. But yeah, he did it in a day.
0: <laughs> world record set by Captain Kirk. <laughs>
1: Not that surprising, to be honest. Yeah.
2: Well, and, like, I was even floored, because this is also the first time watching this movie that I realized that the only reason that uh, McCoy takes over as CMO is because that deck was hit. Like, just, Again. like, literally sick bay was hit. Yeah. And everyone was, like, sucked out into space. It was horrible. And then he's, like, he's, like, sorry, he's dead. I'm, and, he, and he's, like, yeah, you're CMO. And he's, like, tell me something I don't know. I'm, like, yeah, he's clearly, like, running around trying to cure everyone. But... I just think that like the ways that all of these characters are put onto the ship are really fun and different than how I would have expected because I'm just expecting them all to be together one big happy crew at the start of this film and so it is fun to see their origins even if they're a little like skewed or something's happening to put them in this position. It does move the plot and you know I I don't mind I think that McCoy too is just... I also want to say, like, I love the fact that while they're in the trial, you know, Kirk is like, who is that pointy-eared bastard? And McCoy goes, I don't know, but I like him. Yes, <laughs> Such a good role reversal. Like, it's just genius, because again, we're in a parallel universe, so everyone's like, whoa, what? He's the one who said pointy-eared bastard, not McCoy? Like, what? what kind of movie am I watching? You know, so I think Abrams and the writers did excel at really subverting our expectations throughout this movie.
1: I love also the relationship between Kirk and McCoy because it's really, I mean, very solid in the original series. You know that Kirk and McCoy go way back, and so I love seeing it, that they join the same day. McCoy, we don't get a scene of his childhood. It's not, I wish. it's not about the golden trio. <laughs> like it, it is so much on the original series. It's all about Kirk, Spock, and McCoy and how important they are together. I mean, yes, Kirk and Spock, but I feel like McCoy is so important. He's also mm-hmm. my favorite character from the original series, so I'm super biased. But... We don't get a, a kid scene with him, or how he was born, or anything about that, except the lines that he says: "The wife took the whole damn planet in the divorce, and all I've got left is my bones." Which I, am like, cool. That's Genius. all I need. God yeah, it. I love him.
0: I don't think we even need to see McCoy's childhood. He just came out of the womb as a grizzled old veteran. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's so true.
0: It's like I'm You're here, just your country cut my doctor. Cord, I got things to do. Yeah.
1: yeah, and just Carl Urban plays it so well. Um, I'm. Yeah, I'm already thinking about the next movies where I have complaints, so I'm just going to hold it in. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
2: oh my gosh, he does it so well, and because we're talking about Pike here, we've talked, you know, about in the past in our other episodes about Pike in um, Discovery, and then of course Pike in The Cage and The Menagerie and all of that, and how just different these pikes are being portrayed in these movies. And I really like Bruce Greenwood. I think that some people have, you know, like maybe don't like him as much or have more affinities to other Pikes. And it's not like I like a certain Pike better than the others. I think that they all are very different in this. And of course, Greenwood plays him very differently because like, they're not trying to push the whole like sexist thing (laughs) and all of that that was happening in original Trek. And so I really do like though, that we get the similarity of Pike going through and learning every one of his bridge crew's names before they go off onto this mission. And this is exactly like in Discovery, when he's learning Owashikan and Detmer, and everyone's names, Bryce, Reese, like, he... And giving us, finally, a chance to learn their names, you know? So I think that that is perfect, because it both introduces Pike as a character, showing, like, he is dedicated to his ship, and he knows a ship can't run without having a connected crew and having a crew who trusts each other. And so he immediately is getting to know them. And, you know, he even gets the banter with Sulu, like, is the parking brake on? <laughs> All of that stuff, just iconic moments that really, you know, and he calls off the Russian whiz kid. It's just so fun because it reminds me so much of Anson Mount's portrayal of Pike. And I just thought like, whoa, that's so cool. I wonder if this was particular to Pike's character, if they really thought about this while writing Discovery to make him so personable.
0: I feel like every Pike is just different based on what the role of Pike is meant to be. Because mm-hmm. if you go to Jeffrey Hunter as the very first Pike, uh, you know he was a leading man, and much like Anson Mount is going to be very, very soon, uh, whenever that date happens, uh, they're going to be leading <laughs> men. So they have to be different. They have to be big action hero type characters, but in the case of the Abrams film like there's no need for that because we already have the big action characters so he gets to really lean into to being like you've been saying the mentor type character which is really important he's kind of the father of the enterprise in some ways Mm -hmm. he's you know he's the de facto father of everybody that's on that bridge and on that crew so he gets to explore a side that we don't normally see with uh pike characters uh that's being able to do like the exact things you just said so i I think that's really what comes down to there is just who he is to what the plot needs
1: absolutely well and This, I guess, past year or so, I was living with my in-laws for a while, and um, my husband's father is, like, obsessed with Pike. He has seen the original series a lot. He has seen no other Star Trek, but The Menagerie Part 1 and 2 are his favorite episodes. He's obsessed with them. And so I haven't... He's never seen this movie, but I think about people like him who are seeing 2009 for the first time, and they're like, oh my god, they have Pike in this, you know? So I think it's really cool that... Yeah, I don't know. I think it's great that he's in this movie. For me, Bruce Greenwood is fine. I feel like he just is what he is. I don't think, yeah. like, Anson Mount really brings something special to the role. Mm. Of course, Anson Mount gets, like, a whole season to do it. And yeah. We only get, like, an hour <laughs> a movie and a half yeah. for Greenwood. Yeah. And so, even then, yeah. I don't really feel a connection to him other than I feel terrible when he's getting tortured, which I think. Like are the same leeches the that same they used the in same Rathacon. bugs
2: yeah the same city alpha six city or, alpha or, eels yeah <laughs> that,
1: I, was, I was thinking that um, yeah worms. because they
2: make you they go around your brainstem and make you susceptible and I was he ma- sure. he didn't talk about the horrific death that was going to happen after <laughs> Nero left that part out but you know <laughs> there's so many
0: fun Easter eggs like that that you know again like. Now, having now watched these movies, I've watched all three again back to back recently, and like seeing all the Easter eggs and references I didn't know previously, it's like, oh, they stuck a lot of stuff in here. Like, this this really is a love letter to Star Wars. Uh, not Star Wars. Well, actually, it is that too. Yeah. But uh, it's this full. really is a love letter to Star Trek. <laughs> it's all the Star Trek things, all the Star Wars things. Yeah. yeah There's some really, really sneaky so ones true. also in, in the second one, so I'm not going to say what they are, but uh, definitely keep your eyes open in the sequel
1: i'm so excited yeah i'm already thinking about beyond easter eggs too like mm-hmm. yeah it really
2: God, happens so many yeah i really love that particularly like the sulu and that his combat training is fencing that's fucking brilliant to me it's yeah. so funny finally i just made it useful i love too. that too. <laughs> And he's good. He is murdering people left and right. Like he his fencing training really paid off here in this scene. Do you scene. <laughs> mean that like
1: him in The Naked Time was not useful?
0: <laughs> it was useful for different reasons. Yeah. Oh my. Oh my. Oh my.
1: Yeah, Rihanna and I we actually watched this movie together to prepare for the podcast and we were having a Sulu body count. He takes out like three Romulans. <laughs> yeah, it's
2: crazy. <laughs> oh yeah. Wow we're talking a little bit about, because Nero's from the future, he's from Picard's timeline, I mean Star Trek Picard's timeline, (laughs) and like just seeing sort of the, ooh, the ships are so advanced, once again, like Nero's ship is whatever it is, I don't, I don't really know, but Spock's ship is really interesting to me. I really, I do kind of like the design, the little spinny thing, and then the like red matter in the middle, but why on earth do you need so much red matter if you're gonna take the tiniest drop and put it in a planet and it can like completely make everything like suck into a black hole? Like that is just absolutely insane to me that you need that much red matter because inevitably if the ship gets destroyed, it's gonna create this huge singularity that's gonna be a real big mess.
0: Especially considering how uh, soft Spock's little ship is too—it's like so tiny and weak. I mean, it, it's yeah. not going to much knock that thing out. And it, it is cool that it's this like weird little gyroscopic ship, but it's also mm-hmm. kind of just like totally impractical in a film that is filled with impractical ship design.
1: <laughs> yeah, just another on the list. It had me thinking that it was like, like a sidecar, you know, like car, you know? Like, <laughs> like he was connected actually in the in his prime universe to another ship, and he had like a little motorcycle <laughs> that could go out and do it.
0: It's like the Beth cycle Like he, he's Burt Ward, he just exactly. goes off,
1: totally. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Like, honestly, whenever I see it, the first thing that comes to mind, it's like the weirdest thing. But to me, it's just like it, it reminds me of Flounder from The Little Mermaid i, don't know I can
1: is. see it i can that's see just, it like with yeah. what i think the little side flaps going <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah exactly it is flounder
1: i think it is wonderful yeah. because of that the thing that's like rotating to make the ship mm-hmm. go which we don't that see very often the weird Point noise it makes thing. yeah <laughs> the noise is very distinctive and uh-huh. that's i mean it's key to the finale and again we have another side-by-side scene where the movie started with kirk's father sacrificing himself by heading the kelvin into uh, Nero mm-hmm. ship and then again spock is doing the same thing but this time he gets beamed out and he's saved and so yeah i'm just like wow they are just it's parallel all over the place they thought about
2: everything in this movie about like they're very intentional about the scene placement of everything too i think that having a lot of scenes back to back and you know, there's something about all of the reboots, the movies that I find interesting is that there can be some tonal whiplash in some places where I feel like, whoa, whoa, we just had Kirk like making out with Gala, the Orion, and now it's like there's a huge thing on Vulcan, on <laughs> You know, and you're like, whoa, hang on. Or, you know, so there are a little bit of that. That is also very Star Trek where they have these goofy, fun scenes mixed with these like really intense scenes. And I think for the most part, they do it pretty well with the pacing and tone.
0: I, mean, I think they set out not to make a Star Trek film but just to make a good movie and that's mm-hmm. what they did here and then they threw Star Trek on top of it so yeah, um, yeah exactly. I could definitely see that
1: absolutely mm-hmm. Rihanna yeah I actually disagree with you I feel like the humor throughout the movie is what carries it and mm-hmm. it's what's propelling me through each scene and I don't feel really any whiplash like especially because we just watched Insurrection and <sighs> First Contact where it's like You know the Borg are murdering the crewmates, and then it's like (laughs) Troy's drunk on the planet. It's (laughs) like such whiplash that Mm -hmm. in this case, I'm really enjoying every moment, and because it's so funny, and you know we were just talking about Spock's ship, I feel like the first scene where I really feel like. Zachary Quinto is like embodying Spock is when he sits down on the chair and he says, welcome ambassador Spock. And he does like the eyebrow up and mm-hmm. I'm just like, Oh my God. And like, he says, fascinating. It's just perfect. Yeah, and the chair is spinning. I just feel like he really like came into his own and, uh, and it's funny too, because he's like, what? <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, not even that, but that whole scene too. Cause when Kirk's there as well, he does such a good little Shatnerism when he goes Spock. Like for that second, I'm like, whoa, like that was like original Kirk right there I just saw. And I really do like that they can sort of like you see moments of that, but they're still their own characters. And, and oh, it's just it's brilliant.
0: I want to add for our people who are only listening to the show, because they don't get to watch it. Like, I get to see this live as a mm-hmm. part of it. But uh, everybody just missed Ashlyn do the Spock eyebrow raise.
1: Yeah. That, that was <laughs>
0: impressive. I, I it was how, great. How would you do that? <laughs> Teach us.
1: It's a lot of practice. A lot of <laughs> practice. Honestly, yeah. yeah. It's 10 years of doing that Spock eyebrow. Just, you know, just keep practicing.
0: The Rock says. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, so Rihanna, I'm glad you brought up the scene because when Kirk and Spock beam aboard Nero's ship to go save Pike, I feel like that is the scene where they are finally together and on the same page. And Spock has accepted that Kirk is the captain. He knows he's emotionally compromised, but he's willing to kind of put that behind him for the good of Pike and for the good of the mission. So he's agreeing with Kirk, okay, let's go to Saturn. Let's try to beam onto Nero's ship and make this thing happen. And I think that this is awesome because the plot is forcing them to rely on each other. Spock is going down to mind meld on a Romulan and Kirk, God is back. He's shooting the other Romulans that are coming near him. And I know this is like classic military Starfleet training. You know, you have to have your friends back, but it's just, it's really unifying for them in a way that words just aren't. And I feel like both of them feel like they trust each other a lot more because of that mission. And even though Kirk maybe like slaps his back too hard, I think Spock is feeling that too, and I think this really sets the tone for their friendship moving forward. So this scene is really important to me because now I feel like finally they're on the same page, and even at the end of the movie, I feel I feel good about it and I feel good about the crew that we're sending off in this new universe.
2: Yeah, I think too like it's so important that they finally are understanding each other like that is where it makes the shift is once spock is saying like i would cite regulation but i know you will just ignore it you know that kind of stuff where they have these moments of trust and understanding and i think it it comes from the fact that they've just gone through hell and back together you know that's a huge part of it is that like their circumstances brought them together pike literally brought them together and then you have everything else just sort of leading the way and once Kirk is able to sit in that chair and you know uhura's all I hope you know what you're doing captain like everyone's real pissed and it's very tentious but then once Kirk settles in and is like okay we're gonna go after Nero we're gonna stop him everything's gonna be good and he creates this plan then everyone rallies around him and we have this beautiful scene where we get a finally we get a group shot of the entire bridge crew and it's like you know the only thing that was ever screenshotted of like you know you want a picture of 2000 Nine, it's the picture of everyone, and I do really like this scene because it's the first time where I do feel like the crew is unified, where they're all coming up with ideas, and Chekhov is this seventeen-year-old genius coming into, you know, just have these amazing ideas and you know, sort of annoyingly, McCoy's like, oh good, he's 17. It's still a hilarious line, but I'm like, do
1: not underestimate my genius son. He is amazing, and like, he will get the job done, I don't but. Th- I don't think it's about like ageism. I think McCoy's like, oh my god, I'm so old compared to everybody else. <laughs> like, at least that's how I read it. He's like, yeah. oh geez, I'm like in my 30s, and he's <laughs> yeah. like, the 17 year old is like ranked higher than I am. Well, not in that case, but.
2: Yeah, no, yeah. I know what you mean. That's such a good point. Yeah, it's just a very unifying scene, and You're so right, Ashlyn, it paves the way to then that closeness that Kirk and Spock develop.
0: I mean, in every way, this film was meant to have sequels. And that's kind of what this thing really was. You know, as much as it's the romance of Kirk and Spock, as I've said, but really, this was kind of the type of franchise. And now it's like all the pieces are here and now we can really get going in the next one. And uh, (laughs) they, they go all right. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I want to offer up any final thoughts that everybody has. And I'm especially interested in if this rewatch changed your opinion on anything, or like I said earlier, whenever I watch something for a podcast or for any kind of analytical talk, I think about it differently. So Matthew, I'm wondering if this rewatch had anything different for you or as the years have passed, has this like movie changed in your mind or
0: anything? I think I liked it back when I first saw it. I think I like it much more now that I'm deeper invested in the Star Trek franchise as a fan, um, but just as a movie too, it's really good. Like it's, it's easy to watch. I can just put it on at any point and I can sit through and watch the whole thing. I will say though, the one problem I still have with the film really is that last act. And, and like, I honestly mm-hmm. can barely remember, even after just seeing it again, I can still barely remember what happens at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Cause it's, it's kind of honestly forgettable to me. It's like, and that goes back to Nero being such a crappy villain. Cause nothing he did was really ultimately important anyway. And his contributions mm-hmm. were worthless um so you know the film's not really about him at all so the big final climactic action scene it's just yeah i don't remember any of it <laughs> and that's you know my, my big thing is watching kung fu movies too I'm, I'm all big on that martial arts fight stuff and this is just like such a snore fest compared to that too it's just yeah it, it's irrelevant but as far as the movie as a whole though i still love this this, this is like a great first entry it's a great film uh, and it completely reinvented what it meant to being a star trek fan is uh, because, you know, it used to get all these bad connotations of, you know, here, here's the stereotypical Trekkie that you see going to conventions with the runny nose and the Coke bottle glasses. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, like, this film really made it cool to be a Star Trek fan. Like, you didn't need to be anymore, you know, hiding your fandom away. Like, now you could be out in the open with it, and everybody wanted to see it, and everybody wanted to see sequels. I mean, suddenly people cared about Star Trek again. So, to me, um, that's, like, the greatest thing about this film. And um, looking back at it now, so many years later... Uh, I really appreciate what they did here. I appreciate the risks that they took because, you know, they knew this was going to be risky to do what they did. They changed so much of what's been canon for decades. And uh, it all worked, I think. I mean, I know there's plenty of fans who hate the movies, but I think there's a lot more who do love it, honestly, because as much as we were saying at the start of the show, it, we're the outliers. But I think there's a lot more people who really do have fond memories of this film and appreciate it now more than there were back in 2009.
1: <laughs> I love this. Yeah.
2: I mean, Matthew, bring up such a good point because, like, I've noticed this too as I've become more imbued into like Star Trek groups. I have the Star Trek group I used to do meetups with in San Francisco before I had to move and I now of course we have our big Twitter community and so many people like fans of the pod and other podcasters, all of these different people who have been watching Star Trek for years and I think that I was only hearing the general consensus of, like, the masses before, you know, and I was hearing about how Enterprise is terrible, everyone hates it, full stop, and Star Trek 2009 and all of the, like, Kelvin movies are garbage and they destroy the canon and all of this stuff, and I think that now that I actually, like, know people who watch star trek deeply and not like those other people don't and they you know of course have a right to their own opinion and that's totally fine but i think that now i realize no a lot of people love enterprise i love enterprise and a lot of people love the kelvin movies just like i do and it does make me feel like okay these movies are important to people not just me and not just because of my nostalgia bias like they're actually you know good films and they really like help people and i I think Two, this movie, something that stuck out to me this time when I was watching it for the podcast was like we were talking about with Book losing his planet and with Spock losing Vulcan and everything. I think that these themes in the movie really hit home to me this time, particularly with like the horribleness that's happening with a coronavirus pandemic right now. And I can name a million other horrible things that are happening right now, but right. I, just, <laughs> I just feel like this movie sort of helped me reconcile my own grief around like how things are changing so drastically and how much I've changed you know and since I've seen this first this movie for the first time in theaters and I don't know it gave me a deeper appreciation of like Yeah, sometimes you are emotionally compromised and you need to like not be doing work you know or you need people to call you out on that and you can lean on other people for help and i think this movie really hits home that like community is important that crew and the family that you find within the crew is so essential and that's really to me what a lot of star trek is about is a it's not a show about one character it's a show about a crew and they do this so well by giving every single character their part. And I think my biggest complaint always with this movie is that Uhura is constantly just demeaned to a love interest. And I know that she still gets some cool parts, but for the most part, she's just kissing Spock and saying,
1: oh, what do you need?
2: You know, and I just, I don't like that because Uhura's lines were constantly cut when Nichelle Nichols was playing her. She was constantly like belittled and used, you know, and just like in these ways that are just not cool, not fun. (sighs) It just frustrates me because like say if Ahura was a man she would have gotten way more time would not have been this love interest and probably would have gotten more scenes on her own but now we have her like in a bra and underwear and we have her kissing spock and all of this stuff that i'm just like so done with and so constantly done with with these movies and that's my biggest complaint always is just the neglect that Ahura always gets and i just i just want her to be more than a sex symbol and hopefully someday That'll happen and maybe in strange new worlds. But anyway, besides that, this movie, of course, is just so special to me and so well done. It's truly, I can get something new out of it every time I watch it.
1: I love both of your takes, both spicy and hot (laughs) and wonderful. I do agree that Ahura was definitely reduced to just kissing Spock the whole time, but... Did she Oilers.
0: doesn't get better in the next film either yeah no Mm-mm. it, it nope. definitely doesn't and there's even more naked women in the next yeah great. Yeah, yeah. Next
1: but i i do wonder i mean i feel like we got the same amount of time with Chekhov too um <laughs> I love what you said about how it's all about the community and about relying on each other to get, to get through. I actually think the thing I have now accepted in these movies that I never have before is this Spock or her relationship. Every time I'm grossed out and I like cover my eyes and I'm like, this is sacrilege. Like they should not <laughs> be having this happen. But for whatever reason in this watching, I think, you know, we were talking about we're resigned to lens flares. I think I'm resigned to this relationship. And especially because I know that the chemistry is better in the next one. And I do feel like she does genuinely care about Spock. It's not just like she's trying to suck up to her teacher or anything. Like she does Mm -hmm. care about Spock and she is trying to do her best to help him. And so I really felt that love in this rewatch, which I was shocked by because I've (laughs) I'm kind of shocked by that. I I, did not. (laughs) Yeah, I've never liked it. But for whatever reason, that was different this rewatch. Overall though, it's an amazing movie. Like I mentioned, it's my go-to movie. It, for whatever reason, whenever I'm sad, I either watch this or Final Frontier. Don't ask me why, but there's just something about <laughs> them like farting around the campfire that just like warms my heart. Um,
0: row, row, row your boat.
1: Exactly, that's yeah. what Star Trek is all about.
0: It's about a little marshmallow dispenser and farting with beans, guys.
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. Too many yeah. marshmallows. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i i just adore this movie i mean i talked about already my gripes with i feel like kirk maybe is not ready to be captain at the end of this movie but i know that abrams and the writers wanted to get to a place where they were ready to launch this cast and have sequels like what matthew mentioned so i feel like maybe i'm not quite convinced that they're actually ready to go out and do their five-year mission yet But I'm glad that we got all the characters where they need to be. And it's similar to so many other prequels that we've seen where we have these characters and we have to get them to where we know them by the end of the movie. So Sulu has to be a pilot. Kirk has to be captain. Spock has to be first officer. And even if it was a little messy getting there, they did do it. So I appreciate that. You know, what's kind of yeah. funny is that
0: I barely even recognize this as being like a prequel as much as it is. Yeah. Uh, it mm-hmm. really just, it does feel like it's a, its own standalone film. I mean, uh, I, I guess it, it is a prequel. I guess you're, I mean, that's what it was always intended to be, but it really just kind of does feel just like, here's Star Trek, go.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say too, and hallelujah, at the end of the movie, we finally get their uniforms after an entire movie of Kirk wearing that stupid black shirt. <laughs> I I don't know why I hated it. I was just like, can you,
1: like, put on a uniform, please? (laughs) I kind of feel like they had him wear no, like, no uniform the whole time. Obviously, he's not supposed to be on the Enterprise, but I feel like for trailers, it would have just given it away if he was in, like, a certain outfit. I don't know. But I thought that was interesting, too. It really makes him stand out, though. It's like, oh, there's Kirk in his black shirt. Is he (laughs) working for uh, Section 31? (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) I think it's also just like another good choice that the filmmakers made because, again, we're talking about how this film was approachable by the masses. And, uh, I think if you have your lead character wearing a Starfleet uniform, it's gonna look so nerdy and geeky to someone who doesn't know, True. But here you've got now, you know, Kirk is like your mirror if you're just the average Joe who's, you know, your girlfriend wants you to go see this film and you're like, the dude doesn't want to see Star Trek or sci-fi things because it's stupid. But now you see it and you see Kirk running around as this awesome action lead and he's not wearing the nerdy uniform until the very end. And you basically by the very end, you've now been conditioned to appreciate all this and you're like, yeah, he's got the yellow outfit on now. So. Uh, I I think that's probably the choice they made for that kid. I I think that's the reasoning behind it. At least that's Mm -hmm. my idea behind it. We'll never know the truth.
1: I love
2: that. That's genius. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh. Well, and I have one question that like, I've never been able to answer is why does prime Spock say thrusters on full at the end? Like what, what is this line supposed to do for us?
0: I thought your question was going to be, why does Nero suck so much?
2: (laughs) 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 No one will ever be able to answer that.
1: I don't know that. It, I mean, it's a cool scene and classic. Like we're back at Starfleet Academy, we're again with the dual scenes. We're like finishing off the trial that Kirk had. Everyone forgot he cheated at the Kobayashi Maru because now we're not Kirk care. a medal. Man. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it's it, this is always how it is with Kirk, though. Like he breaks the rules, but he saves the Earth, so it's fine.
1: Yeah,
0: he didn't kill Tuvix, yeah. so it's fine. Uh, <gasps> oh, so I went there. I went there. Face <gasps> was <Whoa>. fired. <laughs>
1: It's true, though. I I think it's kind of neat that they have Nimoy watching this trial, and I kind of get the sense that, okay, we're going on our own way. Like, we have a clean slate for Star Trek. We can do anything we want because it is an alternate universe. But also, like, Nimoy's watching, and he's, <laughs> he's with us in our hearts. I have no idea why he says Thruster's on full. Maybe it's to prepare for that last scene, which is, like, the crew getting ready to go out into space. Yeah, because um, then
2: Sulu does say, like, thrusters online or whatever yeah so, like, i think it's just uh-huh. literally
0: just to have a segue it's a stupid yeah. segue it's a stupid little throwaway line just to, like connect it scene wise like you know yeah. It, yeah it makes no sense in the reality that they live in because it's like he's just walking around saying thrusters <laughs> on the pole and he just walks <laughs> off and like goes get a sandwich so, yeah it, it's like totally not diegetic to the rest of the film but uh-huh. it exists for that one cut scene for that one cut that's all it's there for
2: literally that's so true it's like when Paris and Tuvok go back in time and like they're running away from Sarah Silverman he's like red alert as he's running I'm like sure just say like space jargon while you're walking around
0: <laughs> reverse the polarity
1: yeah yeah <laughs> oh I love wow. that wow well this has been such a fun conversation I love it because Rhianna and I have our own dynamic but every time we have a guest on it is just so awesome and we get different perspectives And it's been so great having you here, Matthew. I'm so happy you reached out to us. I'm so happy that we got to discuss this film because it's so important to the Star Trek franchise. And I honestly think that it is one of the biggest reasons why we even have Star Trek shows right now is it lit the fire for creators. And I mean, Alex Kurtzman, you know, this is where he has his first like time and track is in this movie. So we owe a lot to this movie. And whether you love it or hate it, it's very important in the in the history.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna say something I I said actually on someone else's podcast, but I want to say it here because it's controversial, but it's also the truth. You know, we talked about how different this film was. And in my opinion, Star Trek is not a monolith. It's not one thing. And Mm -hmm. as much as fans want to dig their heels in and say, this is what Star Trek is, it's not. Star Trek is an ever-changing thing. At the end of the day, it is a TV show, so there's that. But really, just as far as the story goes, it's an ever-evolving thing. It's not going to always be the same thing. And if you don't change with the times, you don't grow, then what are you doing? So, you know, you can't have the same show over the 60s. So, you know, they made some risky choices. It paid off. Just like today, Discovery, Picard, they're making risky choices. Whether as a fan you think they're paying off or not or have not yet, perhaps, Uh, you know, that's your prerogative. But, uh, you know, Star Trek has to grow with the rest of us. So these are the steps it took. And the 2009 film was critical of making that happen and reinvigorating the entire franchise, reintroducing it to a whole new generation and telling the older fans, buckle up. Thrusters unfold. on
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, so well said. I feel like that's so true. Like, Star Trek is infinite diversity and infinite combinations. So, like, it can be whatever it needs to be. And it always speaks to the times. And this is exactly
1: what 2009 did. I was going to say that when Rihanna was talking about the hype initially after this movie came out, that, you know, this movie's terrible. All the, like, deep Star Trek fans don't recognize it as a Star Trek movie. And it's the same exact type of hate that Discovery gets today. It's not real Star Trek. Take me back. And it's the same type of hate that Next Generation got when it first aired. (laughs) And now we see Next Generation as the pillar of Star Trek, you know, as the, maybe as the monolith. Yeah, um,
0: that absolutely is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And so I just laugh, you know, we're pretty removed from 2009 at this point, it was a different time of our lives and we all we we all love this movie. Now there's, you know, so much love for it. And so I'm feeling, you know, we're going to feel the same way about Discovery in, you know, a couple years and 10 years down the line, they're going to see Discovery as being game changing and so important Mm -hmm. to the franchise. So I love what you said. Star Trek is ever changing, just like all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Well said.
2: Well, thank you all so much for listening to today's wonderful episode. We can't wait next week to be covering our episode on Star Trek Into Darkness with the Jacked Up Reviewed Show podcast. They will be on here talking Trek with us and just having a blast. I'm so excited. We get two guests back to back. This is just a thrill. Yeah, this is crazy for us. (laughs)
1: Like two guests in a (laughs) row is so exciting.
0: (laughs) You're going to have fun with that because uh, that's actually the show I was on previously talking about, the prequels so what <laughs> oh my that's amazing <laughs> so shameless plug for his show too yeah check that out that, that's i didn't even know that before i go into this so that's really cool yeah, <laughs> yeah. homework paid off
1: fun. absolutely yes, yeah we are all connected yeah yeah oh i'm so excited well yes. we encourage all of our listeners to take a listen to trek untold and where can they hear it <laughs>
0: So you can check out uh, Trek Untold on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, pretty much any audio platform out there every Thursday. You can check out the video version of it uh, on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash today, And that comes out every Sunday.
1: Woo woo! Sweet! Definitely check it out. Do you have any Patreons we can support?
0: Uh, well, if anybody wants to follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, you can just check that out, at Trek Untold, one word. Uh, and I do have a Patreon as well, which is patreon.com slash Trek Untold. So if you're in a position to financially support my show, please feel free to, but you don't have to. I'm really just happy to have anybody listening, and uh, you know, reviews and thumbs up and all that stuff are always appreciated, too. Absolutely. And I just want to tell you guys also, you know, Ashley and Rihanna, you guys run a really great ship here. You know, I was really excited to be able to come onto the show and talk to you guys. Like I, I had, I had high expectations and you did not disappoint. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, you, you guys are, are doing an excellent job here with this show. So keep it up. You guys bring something very different to the Star Trek podcasting universe. So, uh, yeah, congratulations on almost two years now.
2: <laughs> ah, thank you so much. We so deeply appreciate you being here and I hope that all of you have a great rest of your week or weekend or whenever you're listening to this podcast.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week for the 12th episode of our movie series, where Ashlyn and Rihanna will discuss Star Trek Into Darkness. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check out our content on Tumblr and TikTok. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, and Star Trek trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these podcast series, pilot episodes, family, love and affection, Time travel, and villains. If you haven't heard a particular series, please go back and listen to any of these awesome episodes. Social media and marketing by me, Ashlyn Gelman, and Rihanna Hurd. Editing is done by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. Our intro and outro was written by Jerry Goldsmith.
2: I, I can't. I will get slandered into a million pieces if slandered I don't.
1: Slandered into
0: a million pieces. <laughs> First contact. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>